So one of one of the stupid things I was thinking about doing is like I always have these dumb scam ideas. That's that's why I got into the line of like computer security stuff. It's because I'm a very lateral thinker. I don't I don't think of things like very straightforwardly. I'm I'm actually banned from publishing books on Amazon right now. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is um I took so you've heard of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, right? Mm-hmm. It's just you take Pride and Prejudice, you add some zombies, it's public domain, you can make some money. Yeah, ready to go. Yeah, so I took uh, David Copperfield, the book, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I made bitch-ass David Copperfield, <laughs> which basically all I did was I made every reference to David Copperfield in there, calling him a, a bitch-ass in some way. And you're not allowed to do this with public domain? What the fuck? So I did that, and then I kind of got a warning. They're like, I don't know, we're going to review your account. A little slap on the wrist. They're like, hey, I don't know about this. So then the next book that I published was called um, What's Considered the Definitive Book on the Subject, colon, It's a New York Times Bestseller. (laughs) (laughs) And the idea was I could get into an argument with people online and be like, well, you know, I wrote what's considered the definitive book on the subject. It's a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and uh, they're like, your, your title is misleading. You can't just claim that your book is a New York Times bestseller. And I said, no, that's just the title of it. I'm not saying it is. <laughs> that's the title of the book. I mean, come on. Man, Bezos wasn't having it, huh? Yeah, so my next move is, like, I've been watching a lot of Twitch streamers, and they're doing speed runs of video games, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be the fastest guy to, like, beat Mario Kart or whatever. So I found, I'm finding games that nobody's done a speed run of before. <laughs> like, I found a bad Dungeons & Dragons fighting game. Ugh. Like, you pick your character, and it's like Mortal Kombat. You fight, right? Yeah. So I'm going to do a speed run of that. It's like PlayStation 1, like early 3D. Oh, God. And and there's no record for it, right? So I'm just like, all right, I'm going to try for the speed run. And in the middle of it, I was thinking like, I'll be like, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to go up and like make a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, who cares, the, right? Leave the thing going. And then, <laughs> then come back and be like, all right, guys, I have a new strategy. I actually had a sandwich made beforehand. So it's going to shave like five minutes off of the record. <laughs> stupid shit like that make myself laugh you know i i'm all for it you know get as many records as you can are you gonna be real upset though when bezos comes out with the amazon film version of bitch ass david copperfield (laughs) yeah probably because it is public domain technique i I don't know though if i make it you might have to like pay me for the rights to bitch ass David Copperfield. <laughs> Man, trust me. Anything you publish on Amazon, I'm sure you've signed away the rights to all of it and oh, something, absolutely. right? Absolutely. All right. So, I guess we should do the intro thing to the podcast. I'm sure there's um, a soundboard involved. A soundboard? <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about, man. Oh, okay. I'm thinking laterally here, so. You're thinking lateral. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's what what you're gonna say when Trump's helicopter crashes. You're like, I was just thinking laterally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm playing 4D navigation. You know, up down today that wasn't working for me. So <laughs> I put in the cheat code, man. <laughs> yeah, in order to start that helicopter, you need to put in the Konami code. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I'm your host, Eddie the Axe Jefferson, and this week we have a very special guest joining us by way of the Grind Bin Podcast. We have the host of the Grind Bin Podcast, Mike Woods. Or Wood? Woods. Just what? one. One Wood. Mike Single Wood. How you doing today, buddy? You know, Eddie, this is the most professional I've ever heard you. You come on our show and you sully up the place. You're all, you know, you're you're coming in there, you're shredding the bread with your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're just mucking it all up. And on this show, you are just so professional. Oh yeah. There's no soundboard. It's like it's like I'm on an NPR show right now. I I had no idea. Yeah, no, we, we try to play things a little bit straight-laced here. Um, so we're doing like a two-hour discussion of The Shining, just no jokes, straight. Yeah, no jokes whatsoever. And uh-oh, spoiler alert, we're covering the 1980 adaptation of Stephen King's novel of the same name, The Shining. But, Mike, you're you're uh, uh, one of the early guests of the podcast, but I'm sure you know about one of the, uh, one of the little kind of features that we have on here one of the, uh -oh. the little here it comes you know how at the end of your podcast you always are like oh well what were uh where's bobby and what's his nuts yeah uh in the movie so at the beginning of all of our podcasts you select a character from the from the movie okay that you're you're representing and uh we're gonna have an epic rap battle oh no okay <laughs> so who's who's your character mike oh god i wasn't prepared for this well, it's it's uh, freestyle, right? Well, I guess I'll go um, one of the worst characters. I'll go for Shelley Long. Okay, you're going to be Wendy? Yeah, because I can just right? cry all the time. Okay. Go. <laughs> Wait, you want me to rap right now? Well, it's a rap battle, right? You're, you're getting your ass kicked. Oh, I don't do worry. I one I, time and you're out of here. Phew, this is... <laughs> No, I'm just fucking with you. We don't do any of that shit. <laughs> here it is. This is the Eddie I know. I was getting worried here for a second. I was like, what did I get myself into? Yeah, no, I, I, I did that just to break the ice for you. You know, you I've know, always got... wondered what a show hosted by you is like. I've, I've heard a few of them, but I've never, like, dared to be on one. So, I mean, mm. you know my favorite show that you ever did, which was the Key Lime, the Kuchu's oh, Key yeah. Lime Pie episode. Yeah, that was a... Um... That was a deep delve into the psyche of, of a person who was trying to find a recipe for key lime pie and ended up finding a conspiracy You know that's never been answered. What's really funny, Eddie, is I think that that actually has a lot to do with what we're discussing today. I think it really does. Adaptation of Stephen King's novel by the same name in 1980, though uh, Stephen was not fond of the movie. Well, it's funny you say that because Kubrick was not fond of the book. So yeah, apparently yeah. while he was filming Barry Lyndon, everybody was like, what's he going to do next? Right. And he just finished this epic Barry Lyndon, which was shot completely in real lighting. Right. They had to invent lenses so he could shoot that movie. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there deciding, like, what's my next project? And apparently somebody slipped Kubrick the manuscript for The Shining. And he thought that it was utter garbage, but he liked the story. He was like, yeah, you know, all this other stuff. As he he was quoted as saying in an interview, he thought it was real hackneyed. Oof, that's rough. So Stephen King. Yeah. Maybe this should have been the rap battle of Stephen <laughs> King versus Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, because Kubrick, uh, not a fan at all. 
of Stephen King's book, but did love the story underneath. So he wanted to do the movie, and apparently he just went to him and said, like, I'll only do this thing if I can just do whatever I want to the story. And Stephen King was like, well, of course, you know, what? (laughs) he's going to elevate my work like he did Arthur C. Clarke's 2001. You know, man, this is going to be amazing. Oh, you got money? (laughs) That's okay. You do this, I'll do maximum overdrive. Break! And, you know, I have to say, I'm not a fan of Stephen King. And in fact, mm-hmm. I hate almost every single Stephen King movie adaptation. This is the only one I think I actually like. Oh, you're the other one. Yeah. You're the other me that doesn't like Stephen King's work. Oh, he can fuck off. Thank you. So Stephen King said about this that uh, the visuals were impressive, but it was without substance, like a fancy car with no engine. That is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> It makes no fucking sense. The uh, so Vincent uh, Lobrado wrote a a book. Nailed it. Yep, wanted done. Uh, it was Stanley Kubrick colon a biography, and he said Stanley really wanted to make a horror movie, so he locked himself in his office and started reading a stack of horror novels. He'd get a few pages in, find something in it that he didn't like, and he threw it against a wall. And you heard a thud. That sounds like Kubrick. Yeah. And at some point, his assistant outside noticed that she hadn't heard a thud in a while. And that, well, that was because he was reading The Shining. Yeah. Apparently, just a big fan of, like, the underlying story. Right? Like, he really liked, as he said in an interview I read with him about The Shining, which he really didn't talk about this movie that much, which I think is no, interesting. Not really. And in fact, like, I'm a huge Kubrick fan. And I think that the two movies that I find, like, are his biggest, like, enigmas, like movies that I've watched dozens of times, but I'm just, I don't know what he was going for, but I'm so fascinated by them, are The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, my God. Absolutely with Eyes Wide Shut. Right? Like, I can, I'm telling you, Eddie, I've seen that movie, like, at least a dozen times. And every time I watch it, I'm like, hold on, I never noticed that shit before. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I start thinking about it a whole nother way. And what I think is so fascinating about The Shining is I think that people have spent, you know, we know there's some bullshit documentary about, like, this being about the Holocaust and all this crap. Kubrick said none of that shit's real. Right. But I think, like, do you do you think that people just can't accept that Kubrick decided to make a horror film? Like, that he just literally made a horror movie? Yeah, I think this is a horror movie that is made by a person who typically doesn't make horror. He said apparently like his idea that the reason he liked the Stephen King book, even though he didn't like it, was that he could see the descent into believing a supernatural event occurred. So for most of it, you just think it must be psychological because a man is going crazy. But then it gets to the point where you actually start to go, no, something must be going on. But you're always on the edge of whether or not it's supernatural or just one man's descent into madness. Right. And even then, let's say it was supernatural, right? Like, like first of all, it's, it would be indistinguishable whether it's madness or a supernatural event. There's no way to measure which, which it would be. But the, the implication is the actions that you take based on either your madness or your perception of that supernatural event, that's the horror, That's what creates the conflict. Yeah, and I think like when people look at it, because they look at other Kubrick movies and they just dissect them. And you look at The Shining and it's so different from anything else he made, which was also why I bring up Eyes Wide Shut, because I also think it's very different from a lot of his other movies, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I just don't think they can accept that he would make a horror movie. Like, they're like, there must be something else underneath it, right? It has to, like, relate to, like, the fake moon landing or... <laughs> yeah, or the, uh, the, the fall of America because of the baby boomer generation and their entitlements. Yeah. And even, apparently, even the crew members got infuriated on set because people would ask him, like, what does this mean or what does that mean? And this is taken from interviews with crew members is apparently he would just say, I don't know, it's a ghost story. Yeah, it's spooky. (laughs) It just pissed people off because they're like, yeah, but like, what are we doing? He's like, "Eh, I don't know. Look, I'm trying to scare people. That's the whole idea. (laughs) Duh, dummy. Duh. I just I just love the idea that he would like take a shot at like making a genre film. Yeah. Which he never did again. You know, I mean, he kind of did, I guess, with like Paths of Glory, you know, like he made his war film. But and I guess he made a comedy with Dr. Strangelove, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the end, you can say every war movie is a drama just taken to its like and and horror. Right. You could say horror and, and war are just drama taken to their extreme. And I think, yeah, I would totally agree. And I think that this movie, as you know, was actually nominated for a Razzie when it came out. (laughs) This movie was like not well received when it was in the theaters. Oh, yeah, it was panned. Yeah. Uh, Critics said, you know, terrible. It it has a new life on video. Mm -hmm. So like this is the one I think that Stanley Kubrick would be so interested in like anybody wondering about because it never succeeded. But like I think that it's one of those movies that people continually go back to in his catalog that they just can't let go. And I think that's just kind of what makes it so fascinating to me. I've seen this movie probably more than any other Kubrick movie. I've seen 2001. I can't tell you how many times, but I still think I've seen this one more. It's it's interesting because as, as much as it was panned, it's also like part of the zeitgeist now. I, like, I mean, it has spawned an entire genre of horror films, mm-hmm. modern day horror films. Oh, yeah. Like you watch, I would say, The Witch, which I thought was fantastic, also hated by most audiences, right? So they would go in there and you'd read these great reviews of people online that were like, I didn't want to go watch some British dude chop wood for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but then you would get like, I guess you have It Follows, which really tried to just use all the shining camera work and... It's just inspired like this whole new generation of filmmakers by a movie that just was not well received when it came out. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I would say that, that it's that kind of slow atmospheric and building horror that in America we, we really didn't see a lot. I mean, you, you had it with some of the Italian horror, but, but it wasn't really big in America at all. And yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Now we've we've kind of finally woke up to how scary it is if I'm invested in the characters before I see them go through what they go through. Yeah, and if you read, uh, you know, the interviews of what he was going for, I think he nailed it, was the idea that you are on this journey with Jack. Yep. And when he devolves into madness, you also don't know what's real and what's not. And I think if he was going for that, he nailed it. Yeah, you're identifying with the antagonist. Like, that's that sounds so simple, but how often does that happen? Not very often. And uh, by the way, so he didn't write this movie by himself, right? No. No. Also, Stanley Kubrick, not a, not a great screenwriter, a great filmmaker. Yes. As far as like his dialogue and everything like that, you know, not perfect. Films themselves, I think they're all fantastic. Mm-hmm. But he wrote this with um, this woman and she's given quite a few interviews about it. And I don't know when we want to mention this, but there's actually two scenes that Warner Brothers forced them to cut out of this movie just for time. Okay. 
that explains so much more of the movie. And it's just fascinating to me that they cut that out. Oh, interesting. And apparently Kubrick ordered them destroyed. So uh, you'll never actually get to see them, God damn but they it. filmed them and they are these missing puzzle pieces that like people have been wondering for years about certain things. And it's like, oh no, yeah, we just cut that out. See, and me being like a dirty, filthy, like pirate of video games and, and cinema and, and uh, also an archivist, somebody who is into preservation of, you know, like the famously there's the Scott Pilgrim versus the world video game on Xbox live arcade that is just gone now and you you can't you can't play it oh man i remember playing that game was it was it a good game i don't know it's probably still on my xbox 360 hey you should sell that on <laughs> ebay for hundreds of dollars or the uh the pt game that was you know oh uh, you know i um, never got to play pt i'm i'm going i'm slogging through the beginning of death stranding right now so well pt was just a uh, playable demo of a game on the uh, PlayStation 3 that was directed by Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. in in collaboration with Hideo Kojima. There was going to be another Silent Hill game, but uh, Konami put the kibosh on that after they fired Mr. Kojima. Yeah, Konami decided to make uh, pachinko machines, yeah. yeah. Fuck them. God, it just it hurts my heart to hear about two scenes that are deleted. Oh yeah, when we get to them, you're going to be real upset. Yeah. Okay, so I think we should run down the the cast of characters then. So firstly, yeah, directed by Stanley Kubrick, of course, throwing books at the wall and stop because of The Shining, because like, oh my God, oh my God, that's what I want to direct. <laughs> Apparently, by the way, hated the fucking ending. Thought it was the worst shit he'd ever read. Okay, so <laughs> Stephen King has gone on record to say he loves making worlds and he loves writing characters and he doesn't know how to end them. I agree. That's absolutely true. Everything with Stephen King ends horribly. Well, look, I, Eddie. I will say the book, though, <laughs> of The Shining, the ending is not his worst. I mean, Stephen King writes one line at a time, and it's not the line on the page. It's the line on the desk. So, Hey-o. I mean, that shit fades away after a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got the stand that ends with literal deus ex machina, the hand of God detonating a nuke. <laughs> So that's good. Yeah. And- <laughs> Can you imagine Celia Kubrick reading that? It's like, well, we're not doing that shit. So. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> he throws it against the wall. You've, you've got it, which, uh, well, I mean, after the, the minor gangbang that takes place. Well, it's a major gangbang involving minors. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> major gangbang involving minor. Yeah, it involves... Uh, the, 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 the culmination is an intergalactic crab spider monster getting its heart ripped out. And then the protagonist and his comatose wife go on a bike ride. <laughs> He's not good at ending shit. I'll give you that. Um, so this movie, though, starring Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. Oh, one of his best performances, by the way. I love him in this movie. Absolutely. He's phenomenal, and he's the perfect selection for this. But, you know, he wasn't the first pick. That is insane. Kubrick famously uh, had a couple of other people in mind. First would be uh, Robert De Niro. You know, that could have worked. It could have worked, but... Kubrick disagrees with. I mean, that was like King of Comedy era De Niro. So that shit would have been amazing. That would have been great. But he also did Taxi Driver, which Kubrick watched and said, you know what? Not psychotic enough. (laughs) I love the idea. So he what then fired up Easy Rider was like, I want that guy. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, what he did was he then looked at uh, uh, another crazy guy, Robin Williams. Oh, no. Can you imagine the freaking genie from Aladdin just oh, scatting hey. all oh. over this place? Just free associating. Oh, God. Oh, look. I got an axe. I'm going to chop through the door. Oh, chop, chop, chop. Look, that shit would have never worked because Kubrick was adamant about people reading the exact things in the script. Yeah. No way that would work. So uh, then Kubrick watched Mork and Mindy, and he decided Robin Williams was too psychotic. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense. So uh, in Kubrick, though, he's got a sense of humor. So uh, to to help get Jack Nicholson uh, more and more enraged as they were filming this movie, he fed him only cheese sandwiches (laughs) for two weeks. Did you know this? Man, not regular, right? Like that's going to. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson fucking hates cheese sandwiches. (laughs) Who likes a cheese sandwich? Just regular cheese. Not even grilled. Just a fucking cheese sandwich. Well, this is my thing. It's because he's, like, from England or something, maybe. I don't know. Those those people put all sorts of stupid shit on a sandwich. <laughs> I saw them eat a goddamn chip buddy, is what they call it. That's just a bunch of french fries on a sandwich. God, that is that's like... Not a, that's not real. That is like some Pittsburgh shit. Yeah, that's some bullshit. Like, Pittsburgh has nothing to themselves, so they, they invented the, like, here's a sandwich but you just fucking put french fries on top of it yeah and i had one of those things and i was like get that get this out of here fuck off yeah i don't think cheese sandwiches are real they're not a real thing there's no such thing as two bread two pieces of bread and a cheese in the middle is the only thing unless you're grilling it yeah exactly then we got heaven we're good man oh i'll never say no to a grilled cheese but just put that dry cheese in there i don't think so man so life pro tip if you're ever eating at a diner or someplace and you're like i don't know about this place it's sketch like i might get sick and die just get a grilled cheese sandwich you can't fuck that up you're not gonna get sick <laughs> you're cool. probably not as long as you're using that uh, chemical craft cheese you know you're all good man yeah the good processed american cheese yeah american cheese that's what you're i asked goddamn for. right so that's jack nicholson that's him in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell, that's him and some facts about him in the movie. Co-starring, but I might say a more powerful performance, you've got Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance. Okay, so apparently, you know, the performance is powerful because her and Kubrick hated each other. Yeah. They did not get along. He would make her take scenes like 30, 50 a hundred times over. Yep. And she fucking couldn't stand it. And so she would break down crying. And that's probably what you're seeing on screen a lot of times. She said that she was crying so much in an interview (laughs) that she ran out of tears and she had to carry water bottles around with her. You know what the funniest thing is? Like, he got that performance, man. Oh, yeah. He got that performance. He he used to say, like, he would force her to retake scenes so many times he'd get pissed off and be like telling everyone, you know what? She's you're wasting everybody's time here. What are you doing? <laughs> so she she was suffering from mental exhaustion and she she started losing her hair. God. But what a performance. This is her best performance of all time. Shelley mm-hmm. Duvall in this movie, best performance she's ever given. And she would agree with you because she said uh, later on that while she would never do that again, it probably made her a better actor, and she understands that that he was pushing her to her limits to get the best possible performance out of her. But that could have been Stockholm syndrome, you know. Yeah, I, I, there's a great thing. Like, so I got the Kubrick collection years ago on DVD. I'm not sure if the, I'm sure the Blu-ray has this. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a making of documentary behind the scenes that was actually made by Kubrick's daughter. 
at the time. Yes. And there's lots of great scenes with Shelley Duvall and him on set where she's like asking all these questions and like going over stuff and he's just like not responding to her whatsoever. And at one point she's just like stopping a scene constantly like, would my character really do this? And at one point, this is one of my favorite things is he just pulls her aside and he goes like, Shelley, let's just do the scene, huh? Let's just not worry about the words on the paper or the words that you think will be said. Let's just do the scene, huh? <laughs> Shelly, let's just do the scene, huh? <laughs> Come on, chop, chop. Like, let's just do it, man. And we got a movie to make. My favorite little tidbit about this movie is that if Kubrick had his way and they kept filming even longer, you may have not had Empire Strikes Back in time because they were filming on the same stage. Holy shit. And he ran so far over schedule that Lucas and crew were waiting for months to get on this soundstage (laughs) to start (laughs) filming Empire Strikes Back. But they were filming The Shining and apparently part of the set caught fire so they had to rebuild it and he would not fucking leave the set and so they had to wait until The Shining was done before they could film Empire Strikes Back. Holy shit. Worth it. Absolutely, <laughs> Absolutely worth, it. worth it. In the long run, we can just get rid of the entire Star Wars saga <laughs> for The Shining. I'm fine with that. I just love the idea that it's just like, you know what? You almost didn't get that fucking Hoth battle because uh, Stanley Kubrick was making Shelley Duvall take a scene again for the hundredth fucking time. You almost didn't get to see all the stupid Ewoks because of <laughs> Shelley Duvall. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now we've got little Danny Lloyd, who's got two first names, so I don't trust him. <laughs> again, a classic example of like this kid only gave a good performance because he was in a Kubrick film. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oddly enough, he was treated like the complete opposite of Shelley Duvall. Oh, yeah. Kubrick's not going to treat a kid like shit. He's like, look, I'll fuck around. I'll like beat the shit out of a woman. (laughs) But this is a kid. Like, what are we talking about here? I'm not a monster. So, yeah, he uh, he sheltered him from all the horror elements of this movie. And and he believed he was doing a drama movie. Uh, At least that's kind of what they told him. And it was only 11 years later, after he finally saw an uncut version of the movie, that he he realized what he was doing <laughs> that's great, great though yeah and uh he he improvised the talking to his finger thing really yeah that's probably another thing like you take the soundtrack out of it probably not as scary right no i have kids if one of them starts <laughs> talking to their finger it's over i'm gonna be like well dad has got to go down to 7-eleven to get a pack of cigarettes and a gallon of milk and then they don't like look at you and say like we are no longer here mr act i no? don't know what you're talking about <laughs> Yeah, you. I'm gonna. I'm out of here. I'm gonna go move down to Mexico. You got ahead of them, though. You put red rum on their doors. I so, did. like, you know, they would never draw it because you already got it on there. So I did. And I've already added the axe to my moniker. <laughs> so when I eventually kill my entire family with an axe, people will just be like, I fucking knew it. I knew he was going to do that. Like, he, it's in his fucking name. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> I can't wait for that bathroom scene with you and, uh, Grady. Oh, yeah. No, it's I'm Grady. I'm talking myself. Oh, man, into you're definitely it. the Grady, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you should kill that cunt. So. <laughs> Speaking of you should kill that cunt, 
Scatman Crothers, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, best Scatman role of all time, other than maybe Aristocats. Uh, he's not a great actor, but no. great in this movie. No, he's not a great actor, but that's fine because he's a friend of Jack Nicholson. So he's so good. At, like he's so, so perfectly casted in this movie, though. And I have to say that, like, the peak of Scatman to me is that scene where he's sitting there with Danny in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I was like, he's never done a better job with acting. And you know, I'm including all the Transformers. Oh. Okay, well, that's, I mean, now we're talking about a whole different level of film. Now you're including the Transformers. Yeah. If it's up there with the Transformers movies, wow. Well, well, he was uh, jazz in the Transformers cartoon. Jazz. Yeah, Scatman. Also, I mean, Hong Kong Fooey, you know. <laughs> you don't remember all those, like, fucking monologues that Hong Kong Fooey was doing? No, I didn't watch a lot of Hong Kong Fooey, unfortunately. I was too busy getting laid. <laughs> we know that's not true, Eddie. No, that's absolutely not true. I was watching Ninja Turtles and pretending I was Michelangelo because even though they all lived in the sewers in New York, for some reason he was a surfer dude. <laughs> I just think it's very funny that, like, Scatman Crothers, who I can't really tell you a serious role that he did before or after this, mm-hmm. was chosen to be in The Shining because he's friends with Jack Nicholson. I don't know. I guess well, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he was in that, but I don't really remember him in that. It's Hollywood. It's all about nepotism and cronyism. I just love the idea that he's like, yeah, he goes from Hong Kong Fooey to The Shining, you know? Yeah. Well, apparently he had a little bit of a hard time when they were filming The Shining because Kubrick was uh, making him do several scenes over and over and over again. <laughs> and uh, this this bothered him. Now, this could either be because Kubrick, you know, kind of famously keeps retaking scenes until they feel right to him. Oh, he'll do about 30 takes no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be because Scatman Crothers isn't really a good actor. Like, it's pretty I mean, it's... Look, I always relate Kubrick to, like, Paul Thomas Anderson, and I think, like, those guys will get the best performance out of actors, Mm -hmm. but it's not because of the actor. It's because their directing style is just basically to, like, break somebody down to the point where, like, they're gonna get what they want out of them, and they're not gonna move on until they feel like it's right. Yeah, I mean, they're, like, classically sociopaths, just kind of (laughs) manipulating people until they get what they want. I agree with you. Never meet your idols, man. (laughs) Never meet your idols. But on the other hand, though, literally the next film Scatman was in, Bronco Billy, was directed by Clint Eastwood. Bronco Yeah, Clint Eastwood. The exact opposite. <laughs> and uh, Clint Eastwood's got a reputation for doing everything in one take. And you know, he never says action. No. So Clint Eastwood goes on set, never says action, never takes another take. He just, he, everybody gets quiet and he goes, and go. All right. Let's do this. Because he thinks action is demeaning, yeah. which I actually think like like in the stuff that I've directed, I see what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're doing this like bizarre taskmaster thing and like going like, now you act, right? Yeah. At people. And it's like, well, let's get in the mood and like not break that, you know? But I just love the idea that he goes from the set of The Shining to a fucking Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> what, they filmed that thing in a week? Yeah, I think they filmed it overnight. And uh, so Scatman Crothers broke down in tears of gratitude because they were doing everything in one take. Wow. But you know what nobody remembers? What's that? Bronco fucking Billy. That's very true. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely no one remembers Bronco Billy, but everybody remembers The Shining and you remembered it. And why did you pick it? Why did you subject me to this movie for, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful movie, but dude, you had free reign for so much horror. It didn't even have to be a movie. It could have been a video game or a, a book or whatever. Why, why, why was it this one specifically for you? So The Shining is one of my, like, I, I don't even know if I actually have one, but top five movies of all time. Okay. I love this fucking movie. I've seen this movie probably more than any other movie. Like this and Boogie Nights are probably the movies I've seen the most and oh, probably God. like 2001. I think this movie is fascinating. Every time I watch it, I notice something new. I personally don't believe any sort of the crazy conspiracy theories around it because that's all fucking bullshit. But I'm just so fascinated by it because I feel like there is more than what I'm seeing, mm. but I don't know if it's there. And that's what you Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, when's the first time you saw it? Do you remember? You know, I hadn't seen this movie, like, until I was an adult. Actually, you want to know the first time I ever saw a clip from The Shining? Yeah. Was when I saw the movie Twister in the movie theaters when they showed, <laughs> showed a clip from The Shining. As that movie, uh, the drive-in theater is being destroyed. I have since seen The Shining, because um, I was fascinated by, like, what the hell were they watching? You know, like, yeah. even more than Twister, probably more interested in, like, what was that all about, right? Yeah. I remember being like, you know, seeing a Kubrick movie when I was like a young teen and not getting it. You know what? <laughs> I had the exact same experience. I was I remember growing up being like, oh, yeah, that shit's terrible. You know, give me whatever the hell I was watching at the time. Right. <laughs> And then you become an adult and you start to understand it and get it. And you go like, this is something I'll never see again. Like these movies are just one of a kind. Yeah. Every single thing he made is just absolutely incredible. Whether it's good or bad, they're always fascinating. And The Shining, I'm not even sure if it's his best movie, but it's his most fascinating. I think for me, the most interesting horror film I've ever seen. So I kind of feel the same way about David Lynch. Oh, love David Lynch. With David Lynch, and, and it's interesting because it, it was actually... Kubrick had drawn some inspiration from Eraserhead for The Shining. And he would regularly show the uh, cast and crew members Eraserhead and say, this, you see how you feel when you watch this? He's going to be like, see, Shelly, you piss me off anymore. I'm going to put you in that fucking radiator. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> you you see how you feel when you watch this? I, that's how I want you to feel when you watch The Shining. Do you want to know what really, like, when I think back to when I was a kid, what really got me super interested in seeing The Shining? What's that? Was a Rocco's Modern Life episode. Okay. So... I don't know if you've ever seen that show, Eddie. I think I'm a little bit younger than you. No, no, no. Of course I have. My wife is a little bit younger than me. She has introduced Rocco's Modern Life and uh, Courage the Cowardly Dog to me. So as a kid, Rocco's Modern Life was like my favorite cartoon. Mm -hmm. And they did an entire episode that's based off The Shining for children. Yeah. Where one of the characters, Heifer, takes a job as a night security guy at Conglomo Corp. Mm -hmm. And they basically do all these scenes from The Shining. Wow. And I remember watching that as a kid and being like, this is great and weird. And I remember my dad walking in and being like, what the hell? <laughs> and, you know, we're just my brother and I like, whoa, whoa, what's up? And he's like, they, they did a Shining episode of this show? <laughs> Yeah, there was like, that's what I say when I say that this is part of the cultural zeitgeist. Like my, my co-workers, son, uh, he has two sons who are, he's showing The Simpsons 
episodes. Oh, yeah. Like, going through the classic Simpsons and all the tree houses of horror are, are their favorite episodes. And you can't you can't watch that without being like, okay, this is The Shining or The Shining. Excuse me, The Shining, Eddie. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so finally they got old enough and he showed them The Shining. And they're like, oh, that's that thing. Oh, that's that thing. And that's, that's got to be so magical. It is kind of weird, like, knowing the story even as a kid. Yeah. But then seeing it and being like, holy shit, I've seen this stuff so many times. I get it. I understand it and I follow it. So for me, and just my background with this, uh, I didn't see the movie until I was like about 15 years old. Uh, I was living in Longview, Washington, which is famous for meth. And uh, oddly and, and ironically and fittingly, my uh, my parents managed a motel, not a hotel, a motel. And I was staying in a room that had a busted sink. So there's in this motel, there's like a, a house area that's built in. But my uh, loser brother in, and uh, his children were living down there with them. So it's like, ah, well, I guess you can sleep on the couch or, hey, one of the rooms has a busted sink. So we can't rent that out. There's an old lady in the tub, though. So there is an old lady in the tub. Don't touch her. <laughs> you can make out with her, but don't you know? Don't yeah. actually touch her. Too I mean, much. she'll be hot first, <laughs> but then she's a real uh, you know uh, one of them. You have to gnaw your arm off things. <laughs> that old joke from the eighties. So across the street, though, there was a movie rental place. Which God, I, I miss those days. Movie rental places. You know, you know what was so great about movie rental places, like. You had the commitment. Mm-hmm. So, like, we, we can go on Netflix and Amazon and wherever. Mm-hmm. And you can just browse through shit for hours and never pick anything. Right? Yeah. But the video store made you commit. Yeah. You had to get something before you walked out of there, or else you looked like a fucking moron, right? Well, yeah, you looked like an idiot, and plus the boxes were great. And that, I think, see, that's that's where the lost art of box art comes in because mm-hmm. you would go to the video store and you know you'd be trying to rent the new release yeah. and they didn't have one of the 50 copies of GoldenEye you know <laughs> on the shelf you had to yeah. fucking rent whatever the hell else they had available so like you go to the new releases they don't got any of them no they're all done they're gone so you go into those other aisles and you're like i don't know what i'm getting into and you start you know perusing and then you find yourself a a cover and you're like oh hello and you get in it's a a fucking fred olin ray movie and this this cover um if i push the little button on it it lights up and it plays music this has (laughs) got to be a good movie so this movie rental place had a deal where for 120 dollars a year damn they're like the original prime huh yeah you got unlimited movie rentals so this is like back in 1995 96 how did your family not do that deal when you live across the street we absolutely did that deal (laughs) I mean, absolutely. You guys were their worst customers because you would come in and fucking rent everything. Well, yeah, because I just went over there as a 15 year old boy and ran rough shot on it. I was like, all right, let's get every horror movie you fuckers have. Yeah, and you're just like, put it on my tab. And they're like, God damn it. Here's the tags, bitch. (laughs) What do you got? Oh my God. But my my taste was pretty bad, but sometimes good. That's right. We were all 15, Eddie. 
Yeah, so I was running through all the gore hound kind of shit. Oh yeah, you're wait- renting fucking Faces of Death Six or whatever. Yes, I rented Faces. <laughs> so fun story about renting Faces of Death <laughs> from the movie rental place across the street. They had Faces of Death, and they had like even though it was in the horror room, which was a direct replica of the porno room, <laughs> just it didn't have the beaded curtain. Yeah. Even though it was in that room, and even though they were all R-rated, this one had a special, like, little piece of masking tape that said, like, look, you're actually for real not supposed to rent this one. So I grabbed it, <laughs> and I, I went up with the tag, and I was like, here you go. And the lady working there was like, oh, okay. And uh, she she brings it back, and she's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Um, Are you sure it's okay for you to rent this? She asks the miner. <laughs> And you talked with your finger. I said, yeah, 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 it's okay. I said, yeah, why? What's the problem? She goes, oh, well, this shows like real people dying and it might mess you up. It's not God. And I, this is, this is where, this is where I know I might have a sociopath problem or or i'm good at improv i don't know i said uh yeah my parents are cool with me renting it because they said i'm already messed up enough <laughs> got her <laughs> got her and yeah and she's like all right i guess it gives it to me so i go upstairs i'm watching it and i'm like oh my lord i shouldn't have rented this and then my mom calls up to the hotel room that i'm in and she's like hey dude uh what's going on up there i'm like fix that sink yet no, no, I'm just watching this movie. And she's like, yeah, about the movie you're watching. They called me from across the street and they said you shouldn't rent it, but they gave it to you because you said you were already messed up enough. And I was like, yeah. All right, checks out. She's like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I can't argue with that. So f- go on. Faces of death. <laughs> Best marketing department of all time. Oh, absolutely. Because they got everybody to believe that shit was real. Also, did you ever get far enough in the Faces of Death series where they had the theme song? Because that was when I think they really hit the peak. At one point, they commissioned somebody to sing the song. <laughs> and I'll do a little rendition for you. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, Eddie. Okay. But uh, the lyrics are... You know, face? I can cut it in right here. <laughs> Faces of death. Faces of death all around me. Do, 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 do. And that's it. Just over and over again. And it's also, it's not like a hard, you know, it's not, we're not talking new metal. It's like a yeah. real, like, kind of slow jam. Just like, yeah, a nice bluesy jam. That's cool. Also, you know what's so weird about Faces of Death is, like, when I would watch that, it'd be like, man, why does every... When they die, they all look like dummies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, except for the dude that blew his fucking brains out. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. Like, they would, you know, scatter in some shit where you're like, ooh, I don't know about that, right? But then you get, like, a drawn quarter scene or something, and you're like, first yeah. of all, why do they have a camera here? Second of all, this shit looks looks fake like more fake than a romero movie yeah like that guy's mustache looks <laughs> fake this is a problem in fact didn't i see this guy in the last scene where the the speedboat ran over the girl's boob <laughs> i like the idea that just they kept using the same dude over and <laughs> same over dude <laughs> repeatedly it's like look we gotta like we gotta cram in like nine of these <laughs> just imagine the shooting schedule for faces of death yeah i mean a lot of the times they would just take news footage and then film shit over top of it to be like and this is what actually happened i mean i think my favorite was like they had one that was like a magician doing a show that fucked up yeah and he like had some magic trick where he was like laying on a table and he was like gonna escape from some like thing of knives that he'd put on a string 
You know, like knives yeah. sticking out of a piece of wood on a string. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this Right? One. Yeah, and, like, okay. it's on a candle, yeah. but he doesn't get out in time, so the knives just fall into his skull, and it's clearly, like, the fakest-ass <laughs> dummy that has these knives falling like, away. Yeah, it really looks like a, a, a fucking Toxic Avenger, <laughs> where, where it's just, like, a, them running over a watermelon. Yeah. It's just like a pumpkin and the crowd, that they carved a face in. I love the idea that the crowd is just like these people that worked for the, the company, you know, and they're just like, oh. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Uh. So that's what I was into. And then uh, I, I rented uh, The Shining. Oof. And I was like watching it. And I'm like, wow, this is really fucking slow. <laughs> yep, yep. Fifteen year old watching The Shining, yeah. And I just wasn't into it. Yeah. Then then I I, I kind of stuck with it and it, it picked up and I got good. And I think that's my recommendation for The Shining. Look, man, it might start a little slow, but it gets really good. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Eddie. It's been a lot yeah, of fun. I'll so. see you next. <laughs> Now, so we start with some beautiful tracking shots winding through a maze of trees. And it reminds me, actually, of growing up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. You got the winding road, all the trees, right? And the mountains. And what's weird about this is, like, they didn't have drones back then. So how'd they do oh, that? Oh, it was full-on helicopter. Full-on helicopter. Also, some of the worst-looking titles in film history. Oh, my God. So I have a note about that. What font are you using and oh, why is it light blue? It is so bad. So I was watching this movie with my wife uh, the other day, and she just commented the first thing. She's like, I love this movie, but these titles. I'm like, I know. Ugh. I don't know what it is, but they're so bad in the beginning. Yeah. They are terrible. Like, it's weird, too, because the font, like, it doesn't even mix with the film right like they kind of blend no, in and it, you can't read it and they're moving so fast and i'm like oh yeah they're doing like weird ass effects with moving the font around like i don't know i'm like all right whatever i know who it who stars in it i know what it and is and it's but. ruining some amazing like some of the best helicopter footage of all time yeah very beautiful tracking like like the, it's so because nice. that shot so where you nice. go over the lake with the island mm -hmm. on it you know it's just oh mm -hmm. It's the chef's kiss, Eddie. Yeah, it's kissing the fingertips. It's exactly what you're looking for. And then we cut to our man, Jack, our hero. <laughs> yeah, our hero who's a raging asshole. A raging alcoholic <laughs> asshole. Uh, and he's having an interview for a job with Mr. Ullman. Oh, God. Who, Mr. Ullman, who's wearing uh, red Best tie of all blue. time? Very, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> top shelf very bright red and blue colors very cartoonish colors yeah. you might say and i mean we are in the uh, era of wide ties but this tie looks like a goddamn bib this thing yeah. right yeah i mean see okay. the lobster it, dinner was, this son of a bitch i was gonna say there's a picture of a lobster <laughs> on the other side of it he flipped it over to be you know business the other side is casual <laughs> but yeah absolutely and he's like hey uh jack uh we got a job for you if you want to work at a hotel but you gotta you gotta worry about going crazy because uh there's this dude grady that worked up there okay i gotta say eddie the first thing i noticed with this movie watching it mm -hmm. now in quarantine yeah i was like fuck you you can't stand five months <laughs> exactly five months 
bitch. I can do five months on my head. I'm like, I live in an apartment with no outdoor space. I I moved from a one bedroom apartment during this thing to a two bedroom apartment, and I still have zero outdoor space. Fuck you, Jack. To be fair, you have the internet. <laughs> That's true. I do have the internet, but they did have TV. It never went out. You know. Yeah, they're they kind of shit on TV a little bit in a minute. We'll we'll get to that. So he's like, yeah, that that dude Grady went nut nutty nuts, and he uh, he axed his whole family i love it how he says it by the way <laughs> yeah because he's like i guess you should know you know like uh so a couple years ago there was this guy right <laughs> you know For real the old ball and chain am i right jack you know <laughs> the way he says it though is so like yeah. under his breath like matter of fact he's like you know he uh he kind of chapped up his wife so, and kids and um well i guess he sucked down the uh the business end of a shotgun but well you know what are you gonna do right <laughs> yeah, this guy, he, he worked for us for a while there. He was a real character. He uh, stalked the uh, halls of the hotel <laughs> with an axe until he found his two very, very young daughters and killed them in cold blood. And then he found his wife and he took her body apart with that very same axe. And then he turned the gun upon himself and and he blew his brains out in a violent fit of rage that guy's a real jerk he kind of says it in a way that he's like yeah you know job's not for everyone am i right yeah i mean i guess if you can't cut it <laughs> but you can cut it right and of course jack's like yeah i can cut it so now we have a similar interview going on but it's on the other side of the family and it's uh wendy and uh little danny and they're having sandwiches this is interesting is like you establish that they just kind of moved to boulder yeah right like it was only a few months ago now apparently in the stephen king book jack was fired from being a teacher yes Kubrick never mentions that in the movie well, they do mention that he used to be a teacher, yeah. but they don't mention that it's he was fired. It's kind of like implied because he, when he was in that interview that he's like, yeah, I quit to be a writer is kind of what he's implying. Yeah. But the reality of the book is that he, he apparently he got fired for apparently like hitting a student or some shit like that. Yeah. When, when the minute you say like, I quit my job to be a writer, <laughs> immediately the response should be like... Oof. what'd you do you know he was the only application they had Eddie. yeah at that school well i no, i mean for the or, overlook or, yeah, yeah. i mean the other guy <laughs> oh, yeah, signed the, the other guy yeah. signed his shit in blood so they were like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they're like look man we we've got uh this guy Lecter. <laughs> he seems like well educated but he's uh he wants to work in the kitchen <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're, we got some trouble going. Oh, hey, this guy, he used to be a teacher. That's probably a real thing. So uh, Danny and Wendy, they, they're going to a psychiatrist and they're like, hey, you know, it's Jack dislocated his shoulder in a drunken rage when Danny scattered his papers around. But that's all right. Yeah. So apparently Danny suffers from seizures. Yeah. Which is also a weird thing that he would take a job five months in the middle of nowhere with no access to a doctor with a kid that has regular seizures and no sort of medication for it. Yeah. No, but he's cool. But yeah, and like, the other thing is that when she rationalizes it, it's such a great scene when she's just like, you know, it's just one of those things, right? Your husband comes home and just pulls the arm right out of the socket. What are you going to do, you know? Well, look, man, she's ride or die. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, she really is. I gotta point, say, she's she, a good wife. Shelly puts up with a lot of shit. <laughs> Shelly, ride or die. <laughs> 
I need like a sound effect for like the ride or die woman right now. <laughs> ride or die. Like something. So then then uh then this fucking kid starts talking to his finger. This <laughs> <laughs> psychiatrist is like, is that He's normal? He's like, like, oh yeah, no, no, it's just the kid who lives in his mouth. You know, it's no big deal. The kid who lives in his mouth, Tommy. So okay. Like, oftentimes when I'm watching a movie, I get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm out of this, and this is it. If I'm the dad, and and then all of a sudden this kid starts talking to his fucking finger, again, I'm like, yeah, dad's got to go get a pack of cigarettes. He'll be right back. And then there's just no dad. Well, like this. And the way the psychiatrist handles this, she's like, so uh, who is Tony? And he's like, oh, it's the little boy that lives inside my mouth. She goes, oh, really? And Shelly's just like, oh, no, you know, it's an imaginary friend thing. And she goes, does he ever tell you to do things? And Danny's like, eh, I don't want to talk about it right now. And she goes, okay. <laughs> You just go yeah. live in that hotel for five months. Fuck it. Hey, you're cool. <laughs> this is not going to come up later. Yeah, it's not as though like you've dissociated all the negative feelings from your prior abuse from your alcoholic father into some sort of an imaginary friend where you can compartmentalize it and live in like idealized life. And we should say, by the way, that so this is the establishment that there is something going on that's beyond somebody being crazy. Right. Because Tony already knows that Jack got the job. Yeah. And he tells Danny that in the bathroom before he passes out. Yes. So nobody has been notified. And he says, no, he already got the job. He's going to call Wendy and tell him about it. Mm -hmm. Now, there is an explanation for this, Eddie, and we'll get to it at the end. And it was a deleted scene. Okay. So... It harkens back to that bad haircut episode of Donkey Kong Country, the animated (laughs) show, where they find out in their remote location for some reason that that there's a potion that will cure Donkey Kong's impotence. Very much like The Shining. Very much like The As you said, in the zeitgeist. Yeah, in the public zeitgeist. So here's the setup. Okay, Jack, you're a writer. Uh, There's a boiler in the basement. We got to keep it running during the winter. You got to do repairs or the elements are going to take over the hotel. Which, by the way, he didn't do shit. He makes Wendy do everything. No, no. If you read the book, this is actually a much bigger point. Oh, yeah, especially with the ending. Well, yeah. I mean, it is literally... We know Stephen King's not one for subtlety, Eddie, so... He's got to just hammer that shit in, you know? He's like, man, if you don't watch this boiler, this whole place might explode. (laughs) (laughs) It could just blow up and kill you after all the animals and the menagerie... Yeah, but don't worry about that, reader. None of that shit will come into play. Yeah, and my name is Chekhov. I'll see you later. So check off boiler, you know, we just thought it was a fun name. And then Freddy Krueger comes out of the boiler. <laughs> so uh, now Jack's like, hey, man, I'm a writer because I've published a lot of stuff that made a lot of money. You know, what's always funny is when somebody keeps saying they're a writer and over. And over again, yeah, right? it's like when somebody says I'm not a racist. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, OK, well, I mean, if you need to keep saying it, maybe I don't know. So he's like, yeah, five five months of peace sound wonderful. It's and that was immediately was like he's never written shit in his life. Yeah, this guy, this guy can't even write a joke. <laughs> like, what are, what are we doing here? Hey Eddie, can you give me like one second? I gotta go to the bathroom real quick. 
All right, man. Just real time. I'm going to take a piss here on the, the bypass. All right, real time. Where he's going to take the microphone in with him, yeah. and he's going to take a piss. I'm going to dictate so it we're the all going to listen. We're going to dictate his piss. So he's going into the bathroom right now. He's uh, opening the bathroom door, and uh, oh, that's your dick, dude. <laughs> wow. Now he's pissing. That's like brown in his chunks. That's not good. Shouldn't be brown with chunks. All right, now I'm going to go take a piss. I'm going to go meet him. I'll be right back. I'm back. I hope everybody enjoyed that in real time. Oh man, now Eddie's gone. It's just me here. God damn it. I'm a scat man. <laughs> I thought you got scat man there for a second. Uh oh. Grind bin all star. <laughs> I was like, uh oh. Nah, I had to piss also. Your wife finally did it. She ran in the room with an axe, took care of you. Well, yeah. You know. All in real time. Can't believe everybody sat there and listened to three minutes of silence while we all did the same thing. So, uh, set up boiler, yada, yada, yada. So now we're going to go back to uh, Danny, and he's, he's still talking to his cool, like, friend, and he has his visions. And he sees, he sees the elevator doors with the blood rushing out of them. Little uh, precog, this guy. Yeah. Either that or maybe this has happened before, Eddie. Maybe it's happened before. A number of times. Uh-oh. We're talking multiverse theory? We'll get to we'll it. We'll get to it. It's one of those famous deleted scenes, man. <laughs> so we're driving up and Danny, the five-year-old, he's like chilling in the back seat. There's no car seat, no seat belt for him. He's just like fucking around, you know? Oh, and Jack is so pissed at him. <laughs> Jack is he like, can't... like, shut the fuck up. I'm hungry, Dad. I'm hungry. Hey, Dad. This is so funny, Dad, like hungry. watching this movie, thinking to yourself, like, how is this guy not going to murder his family yeah, I locked killed in a hotel five right months? Now. I would have just slammed on the Breaks. Oh, he went Jack, out the window. Field goal. <laughs> Jack is just so annoyed by both Wendy and Danny. He can't stand either of them because anytime they talk, he's like, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> 
<laughs> I imagine him like sitting with him at the dinner table, eating a bowl of stew, like looking down, just shaking his head back and forth while they're just very mildly talking about their day. But no, he's uh, <laughs> Danny's talking about he's hungry. His dad's like, well, you should have eaten beforehand. Uh, we're up in the mountains. It'd be like the Donner party, maybe. And that's when Wendy says it. it pisses him off so much. Yeah. And she's like, you think the Donner party went through here? He's like, and he goes, no, you fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is basically how he handles it. He looks at him, he's like, now, you know, usually it's called the Donner Pass is where they fucking died. You dumb whore. But sure. <laughs> I guess every mountain looks the same to you, you dumb slit. <laughs> And, uh, and it's just like, like you just watch this scene in the beginning. You're like, I think this is going to go well, guys. Yeah. Hey, I think they have a good marriage. <laughs> like if this was 90 Day Fiance, I, I predict it's going to work out for him. Oh, by the way, if you've ever watched that show, yeah. Endlessly Entertaining. No, I love that show. <laughs> it's the best. That is uh, the garbage show that uh, my wife and I watch. Oh, it's I'm very, very entertained by it's it. It's just like eating uh, potato chips. It is just like you watch that show, Eddie, and you're like, I know this is going to go bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I just can't wait to see how bad it gets. It's like a guy who's like, I'm going to stick my dick in this beehive. And you're like, <laughs> his dick's going to get stung. And then he does. And you're like, ah, I knew it. His dick got stung, you dumb fuck. I'm smarter than you. Oh, I love it so I'm much. I'm the only one watching this who knew that. Anyhow, go to commercials. Uh, so, speaking of how bad TV is, Danny's like, well, that's cool, Dad. I learned about the Donner Party by watching TV. Oh, God. And his reaction was like, hey, you see that? He, he learned it on the TV. Yeah, this was back in the era where they're like, you know what? TV was a bad thing. But we're movies. We're high art. Like, we like terror vision we're, and stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for stay tuned, by the way. That's a horror movie. Oof. Uh, so uh, now we, we drive up and we get to this big, beautiful hotel. I got another wonderful fact for you yes. about room 237, by the way. Yeah, go for it. What do you got? So we know that that horrible documentary about this movie, or you could say a very funny documentary about this movie where everybody spouts their stupid conspiracy theories mm -hmm. about The Shining. It's called Room 237. And they go into all this thing about like all this crazy shit about like what 237 means and everything like that. And they go, man, it was different in the book. It was 217. It was. Well, nobody wants to listen to Kubrick because they asked him in an interview, what's with 237? And he goes, oh, that's just because the outside of the hotel we filmed in, or in uh, Oregon, mm -hmm. I believe it was, uh, has a room 217 and they said could you please change the number because we don't want anybody coming here being a weirdo wanting to stay in that shit and you know chop up their family or whatever Bingo. and he's like sure yeah named it so he went 237 because they didn't have a room 237 yeah, and, 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 and almost like smart thing to do <laughs> is uh, uh kubrick filmed this in in many many different locations so it was like a composite of different hotels yeah i mean i don't know if you know but like kubrick notoriously would never get on an airplane he was deathly afraid yep. of them although he died of a heart attack uh so like he made them film all of eyes wide shut which takes place in new york on a soundstage in london yep. he probably was never at any of the outside locations it was probably second unit no, of course i'd not. be surprised if he ever fucking showed up there because most of this movie was filmed on that soundstage and george lucas was sitting there wanting to film <laughs> getting pissed film off like <laughs> Look, man, I want to have my weird space movie. Let's, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and Kubrick was still just filming the, the hedge mage scenes and yeah, yeah. not letting them do it. So I have a cool note about the hotel. Why the fuck was there an outdoor phone booth in it? 
Well, you know, that's the that was the time and the era. No, Eddie. it wasn't. There was phone booths everywhere, right? No. Like he... <laughs> nope, I'm not going to go with you on this one. You know, I know with uh, improv, it's yes and. I'm going to be no stop right now. No, that's what, that's what, always what we do on this show and on the grind bin. It's always no stop. No we stop. never yes and a thing. <laughs> Somebody just throws that fucking softball right over the plate. You just go, nope, nope, yeah. swing and a miss. Hey, you remember this thing? No. Well, no. You just watch it hit the fucking plate. <laughs> Just stand there. Hey, strike three, you're out. Fuck you, sir. Fuck you. You ever seen Faces of Death? Or uh, now we got Dan- speaking of Faces of Death, Danny's playing with metal darts. Yeah. So <laughs> with Jack is again endlessly annoyed by his child when he goes. I think my son's found the game room. Mm-hmm. These fucking millennials in their games. Am I right? Yeah. It's almost like I regret the fact that I'm an adult and I have to come here to do work while my what fucking work? poor wife <laughs> and that goddamn invalid son of mine just get to play all the time. <laughs> Like, I regret that I have to work while they play. Yeah, just like this idea that he takes this job so goddamn seriously. Who takes their job seriously? I have a job that's serious. I fuck off all day. I don't care. <laughs> no one. It, it's like office space. In, in, in an honest, like if we're actually being honest, you do maybe two hours of work a week. Maybe. Oh, I mean, the eight-hour workday is the biggest myth in, in American society. Yeah, it's hilarious. So he's playing with the metal darts. Yeah, his dad's pissed off. He's like, ah, he's in the fucking game room. And then we get a cameo. Probably blasting the universe, you know? Blast. <laughs> Great <laughs> reference. And uh, we, we get a cameo of these uh, two little girls. And, uh, Mike, <laughs> what, what do we know about the two little girls? Well, we do know later on, Eddie, that they were axed to death. But uh, in this scene, no, they're they're just matching. You know, they got their matching yeah. outfits. They look like they just want to play some darts with Danny. Yeah, they're matching and they're hanging out. And twins! And twins. <laughs> <laughs> and twins. <laughs> and Danny's like, hey, hey. He's like, hey, cracks a cores and he's ready to go. So so we get to a little bit of like uh, some exposition here. Like, yeah, this is the Overlook Hotel. It was built in 1907 on top of an Indian burial ground because fuck them. Here's the <laughs> <Yeah>. snow machine. <laughs> Okay, what I actually think is really fascinating about the interior of this hotel. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in any like national parks, like older national parks no, around the like FDR nope. era? So if you go to Yosemite, there's a giant lodge that you can stay in. Okay. If you walk inside there, you think you would walk into the set of this movie. Oh. It is almost exactly the same as that 1930s public works getting out of the Depression era building national parks. Interesting. When I first walked into that, I was like, whoa. Like, immediately struck by how much it looks like the inside of this hotel. Hmm. Same architecture, same giant fireplaces. Like, everything about it is, like, it looks clearly modeled after one of those old um, national park. Like, it's very uh, much of that, of that era. Yeah, which I thought was design. interesting is that they said that it was way older. But yeah. definitely the interior looked very, very similar to some of those. So that makes sense to, to Kubrick wanting this to be composite and uh, maybe uh, representative of Manifest Destiny mixed in with the Boomer era uh, and how it kind of fucked America. But hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, just no keep going, Eddie. Theories. Don't worry. They'll throw you in the uh, new cut of Rim 37. <laughs> yeah. 
but they got to see the snow machine, so that's cool. And then we get we get to meet our buddy uh, Halloran. Oh man, so Scatman, Scatman Carruthers. He's the cook. He's the head cook. Yeah, and I can't wait till later in the movie when you quote Jack Nicholson on what we. <laughs> well, I'm going to be uh, uh, quoting the bartender, not the bartender, Grady, a few yeah. times. And, yeah, and, you're a classic Grady. And what, so. what Grady says about Halloran a few times. Whew, that's a hard take. He's there. got a specific word for Halloran, and we're <laughs> going to be saying that a lot. They certainly do in the movie. <laughs> yeah. They just keep repeating it over and over. And I was watching it, and I'm like, "You, you're not. You can't do that on television." Sir, uh, and then you hear Jack, and you're like, "Oh no, oh no!" He instantly regrets that scene. Yeah. Now. So he shows him the kitchen, and uh, he's like, "Man, everything here feels like a maze." You know, <laughs> isn't that weird? Yeah, Wendy, her her way of delivering lines is that she's just wide eyed and bushy tailed about everything. She's right? very like, yeah, Mulholland Drive about it. But the first, yeah, half, she's just like. I've never seen a kitchen so big. I wonder how you even get around, get around here without getting lost. <laughs> he's like, yeah, here's the walk-in freezer. There's a- <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. There's a ton of meat in here. And, uh, hey, you know, Doc, what do you think about all the meat we have in here, Doc? Yeah, he's like, you like leg of lamb? And he's like, no. no. Why would I like it? Why not? Why would I like a leg of lamb? That's weird. <laughs> he's like, wait, you know, my nickname is Doc, but you don't know that I uh, dislike lamb. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Doc, how did you know my nickname was was Doc? The, yeah, the, the way asks. Wendy says this, she's like, how would you know we call him Doc? And he's like, well... Maybe I heard you say that earlier. She's like, she's like no, I, I didn't don't fucking say so. that. <laughs> nope, nope. She starts hitting the little thing on her wrist, like to report that they found uh, an android. It's like, nope, 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 nope. And he's like, well, I do love how he gets out of it, though. He goes, well, he certainly looks like one, doesn't <laughs> he? He looks like a dog. <laughs> that mean he looks like a doctor like you would trust this man or this boy not even a man yet to to perform like surgery i don't know they trust Scatman a hundred percent with this next scene eddie yeah hundred percent so he's like i don't know it's like the the bugs bunny cartoons like hey you know what's up doc and and this is another uh weird reference to cartoons because you know earlier when we were eating sandwiches there was a Roadrunner cartoon on where the coyote was chasing him through a maze of train tracks. Yeah. Ah. So, yeah, then, then he's like, uh, hey, uh, little boy, you want some ice cream? Yeah, because uh, the owners come up with Jack yeah, and they're going to yeah. show them the boiler and all that shit. Boiler, the dry goods, storage and stuff. And he's like, yeah, hey, little boy, let's how about you just met me. I'm going to take you to go get some ice cream. Mom, is that cool? And we should say... Probably one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when they were in the pantry Mm -hmm. and you get that classic Kubrick slow zoom. Yeah. And the music swells up and Scatman goes, how about some ice cream, Doc? Oh, I love that part. Yeah, because you get the... The like audio feedback coming on. By the way, what a fucking amazing way. Like, see, this is another like master filmmaker type of thing. Mm-hmm. How do you establish that Scatman understands what's going on with Danny? Kubrick can do it in literally five seconds. Not only that, not only that we are connected, because if you put the microphone next to the speaker, it creates feedback, but <laughs> the, the distance that they are away from each other dampens that feedback and you just know immediately immediately that he knows 
every single thing about what's going on with Danny. And I just think it's like this classic visual and musical cue. And like, it's just one of those examples of like why Kubrick films are so special. Well, yeah, because he he would use audio to help in telling the story, but not with words. Yeah, it's and that's such a rare like we've kind of like stepped into that specifically like lately with with your things like uh, um, I don't even know the fucking horror movie where the broad you're not supposed to talk because they'll hear you and they'll kill you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, you know, the don't, office. don't breathe. You know, oh, okay. Where where the guy's like trying to inject cum in the girl with the turkey baster. <laughs> that's what I remember from that movie. Oh, God. Well, he was. Uh, you, yeah, you, that's you true. You saw the that's fucking... True. I'm not making that up. That was in the movie. But he was blind, so you couldn't talk a Real lot. Real Stephen King ending to that one. So. <laughs> Real Stephen King ending. I don't know. He's got cum in jars <laughs> or something. He broke know. the base. And he was like, ah, shit. And then God <laughs> fisted him from from space. So, so yeah, he, uh, Halloran takes Danny to get some ice cream. They have their fun times. And uh, he's, he's like, hey. Um, Dick exposition at this point. Big time exposition. <laughs> he's like, look, man, sometimes you know some stuff you're not supposed to know. I bet that's what's going on with you. And my grandma was talking about how, how it's how we shine. So I love that monologue that he gives is probably yeah. the best performance of Scatman's career. But what I really love, Eddie, yeah. is after he tells Danny all that stuff about shining and being able to f- hold yeah. conversations without ever opening their mouths, yeah. Danny's like, so what's up with 237? He's like, hey, did something bad happen here? And he just gives him this look. He's like, nah, what you talking about? Yeah. And he goes, you're scared of that room, aren't you? And he's like, no, no. come on. God, me? No, man. No, I'm not. <laughs> I love how he handles that. He's like, I'm, what? I'm me? not afraid of 237, but don't ever go into 237. I love how he says it, too. He goes, you don't go in there. Do not go do, in there. Do not no. go in there. Nothing bad happened in there. If you go in there, there will be a soundstage. The soundstage will look like the surface of the moon. Do not worry <laughs> do about not. that. It's nothing. Also, when something bad happens, it leaves a trace of itself behind, kind of like when you burn toast and you can smell it, and uh, there's not still burning. <laughs> yeah, toast. that shit was weird. When he starts talking about it, he's like burning toast, I'm like, is he talking about having a stroke? No, it's uh, it's uh, all just pictures, right? Danny's triking around in the hotel like you're supposed to do. Oh, some of the be- almost some of the most iconic cinematography. Like, just amazingly good. It really is. And I had a bunch of notes in here about how I want to talk about Stanley Kubrick's use of color and the brightness oh. and, and specifically the colors that are selected for Danny and Wendy and uh, how they they kind of show off the playfulness. And they don't do that for Jack. They sometimes ape those kind of colors but they're dim or, or darker and even in the rooms that he's in maybe they they show his uh envy of them and maybe that he's getting older and bitter and yeah it's kind of interesting i think if you say that because like wendy dresses in like overalls and like younger clothes mm-hmm. like almost childlike clothes yeah. for the, this yeah. movie and there's so many like different like cartoonish vibes to it also i think i think there's a little bit of the midlife crisis 
mixed in. Oh, yeah. Well, quitting your job to be a writer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> mixed in with the other vibes. <laughs> but that's cool because Danny, he tracks by and he sees old uh, 237. He's like, I'm not going to go in there. Yeah, no, no reason to go in there, going, right? Fuck that. But it's breakfast time at 1130. <laughs> and I just wrote, like, that must be nice. Fucking writers. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love how this sets up, though. So, like, now they're in the hotel by themselves. They've set into a groove. Yes. And the immediate thing is, like, Jack is not writing at all. He's staying up late. He's sleeping in. Like, he's just all responsibilities. He has just put onto Wendy at this point. Yeah. Right? Like, he's not doing shit. He's just enjoying his vacation well, at this look, point. Man, he's the creative type. What are you going to do? I know. And, like, his way of just being a total asshole about this is just, like, don't ask me about it. You know, because she's like, man, maybe you get some pages done today. He's like, yeah. yeah shut yeah, up. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> It's 11.30, you woke me up. Oh, eggs, sunny side up, my favorite. That's cool. Now, remember this part, Eddie. Okay. Because, again, it seems very weird, but we will establish in one of the deleted scenes that Warner Brothers decided the movie was too long, so you had to cut five minutes of it out. When she asks him, you know, do you like the place? And he says, I love it. It's wonderful. And she says... You know, I it's so weird how you get used to being in such a big place. And he goes, you know, I don't feel like that at all. I feel like I've been here before mm. and I feel like I knew it was going to be around every corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over mediums better than sunny set up, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, like she didn't bring him any f- silverware. I guess he was just going to eat it with his fingers. Yeah. He's like eating it with bacon. And I, it just really bugged me. Yeah. So now he's trying to write. Yeah, because as you know, as a writer, the best thing you could do is just try to write, you know, just go sit down and just fucking do it. As a a person who has tried to be creative one time, (laughs) I can speak with authority that having somebody specifically like your partner or whatever tell you like, hey, man. If you're having some trouble being creative, it's cool. Just keep doing it every day, and then you'll feel creative. Mm-hmm. Like, I've... Ah, <laughs> oh my God. I've done creative endeavors before, and if you're not fucking feeling it, you, you can't do it. It just does no, not impossible. work. It's impossible. Yeah, exactly. And it's speaking from, like, a weird either ignorance or privilege to say, like, it's cool. Just right. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the big excuse all the time is everybody always says, like, if I only had time. Yeah. Right. Like, that's the big excuse is like, oh, if I had all this time, then I'd be able to finish something. Right. But the old cliche is that that never happens. Yeah. I mean, that's evidence enough by right now. Like how many great novels would have been written, Eddie, (laughs) if everybody just had to stay inside because of a pandemic, you know? Yeah. It's not about if I only had time. It's it's about if I only had talent. But that's again, like Jack is not he's not a writer. No, he's He's just always used that excuse of like, I've just never had the time to dedicate it. Well, now he has all the time in the fucking world. He's like a half a drunk teacher. Yeah. So what's he doing with all that time? Well, he's writing, right? (laughs) And and Wendy and and Danny are like, I'm going to go wander off in the hedge maze. Oh, I love that part, too, because Wendy says to him, she goes, why don't you take me for a, a walk? Huh? Yeah. And he's like. Yeah, I should probably go right, huh? It's like, ah, yeah, I know. I have an excuse for how I don't have to spend time with you, so I'm going to not spend time with you. Imagine being alone with your <laughs> wife for five months and being like, yeah, but fuck you, though. I'm not going to take a walk with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's okay. Why don't you go do that shit with the kid? I'm going to just sit in a room and throw a ball yeah. around. Like, he didn't even have porn. Like, what was he doing? <laughs> he wasn't even able to go, like, play some Call of Duty and call people the N-word. Look, like, what, what's... as we know by Scatman's room, there's a stash of porn okay. somewhere well, in this hotel. Okay, Scatman's room, that's not in the hotel, but... Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, he's got some sort of secret stash, right? Yeah. yeah. That was part of the tour, Eddie. He was just like, just in case, you know. Just in case you want to jerk your dick off. Or maybe he, like, forgot about it, so he just shined it to Danny. <laughs> you know, he's just like, just make sure to tell Look, your dad about it. Tell your dad about If your dad starts getting too angry, tell him <laughs> and that that's when the kid was sleeping. He's like, hello? Hello? <laughs> hey, tell your dad if he's got a, if he's angry, he's got to, like, take care of dad business to go look over here. How amazing if one of the deleted scenes was uh, a full conversation between Danny and Scatman where he goes, but did you show him the porn? Look, we've got big, beautiful asses, volume six, shaved orientals, volume four. No, instead they just go into the maze. It reminded me when I was a kid, I used to play role playing games on the computer or on the uh, video game consoles, and you'd go into mazes. And I mean, you were so old, Eddie, you're playing those text ones. I don't know. Yeah, I was. I was playing Zork, and I learned yeah. something real quick. If you just t- take a wall and follow it, you'll always get out of the, the maze. You won't get lost. So if you're like, this wall's to my right, I'm just going to put my finger on it and then never break that connection. It'll take forever, but you'll get out of that maze. Yeah, you'll get out of there, you know? Yeah. Thinking laterally. Thinking laterally. And we go back to Jack, and he's slamming his ball around, and he's not working. And then he takes a look at a model of the maze, and he's imagining Wendy and Jack in it. Yeah, so this is interesting. Is like he's imagining it, but it's like way larger. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it would actually you know how be, they did right? this shot? Hmm. It's really cool. So they constructed a model of a maze, and they, they took the shot from six feet above it. And then they uh, took the small, like, center area of the maze, and they built that to scale in a location right next to an apartment complex. They climbed up to the top of the apartment complex, and they filmed it with Shelly and, and Danny uh, walking around in there. And then they composited the two shots together. That's fantastic. Looks great. Yeah, great, great practical work to, to, to do film. It was the only thing, though, the special effects-wise, that wasn't actually captured just by the lens. It was done a little extra, little extra leg work there. And this is where the the soundtrack is really taking over at this point because it's get, it's starting to swell more and we get the symbols and we get the days and like it's uh, it's really becoming its own thing. At the movie, in the movie at this point, right? Yeah. We know, like, and this is what's interesting is, like, again, Kubrick is very slow with this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, introducing the, I guess you would say, paranormal elements, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. But you're trained to know at this point that when you hear that music and those cues, that something is not right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I think this is the point in the movie where the Overwatch itself starts kind of becoming a character. Yeah. And we, we get some more kind of evidence of that when, uh, cause I do think like we, we've talked about like that hedge maze that you see mm-hmm. is way bigger than the hedge maze must actually be. So it's the first time when you start to question. Yeah. There's no way that that's possible. Right. And it's like the first time that we ever introduce that element of like, we're starting to question the reality. 
And then he's just, again, very, very good filmmaking in that, like, he slowly introduces things that make you question whether or not that could be real. Well, yeah, we're questioning either the reality of of where we are or the sanity of of the narrator, which at this point is the protagonist that, that we're following in Jack. So now we're following, though, Danny riding around. He's he's on the carpet, and now we're getting that kind of... Uh, I, I don't even know how to describe the pattern and the color scheme of the carpet that's going on, but it's... It's, uh, I mean, it's what you think of with The Shining. Like, they sell ties and shirts and posters that are <laughs> yeah. this pattern. Yeah, well, go ahead and watch the documentary Room 237. They'll tell you all about how it's some sort of bullshit Native American thing. Or yeah, something. yeah. I mean, it makes sense with the being buried uh, a Native well, yeah, American. Yeah, I mean, there's Native ground. American motifs throughout the hotel. Like you said, like, well, you know, we, we built it on top of a burial ground, but we we honored them by putting up these fucking curtains, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's cool. It's Manifest Destiny. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's beautiful, and it all fits together, and we're going around the corner, and... And the twins (laughs) pop up again. Oh, my God. So I think it's interesting is like they've appeared before. Mm -hmm. That was the one time early in the movie where we saw them and we're like, hmm, I wonder what that was about. Right. But then we saw the really big heads hedge maze. Yes. And the music. Yes. So we know that something is off. But then when we see them this time, we start to realize like, oh, well, something is definitely off, right? Like yeah. we start to yeah. immediately say like, okay, the Overlook has become a, the, a character at this point. And that there's going to be things that when we see them, we can't, again, just so so good in how he uses a psychological thing to introduce the paranormal without it seeming hokey or cheap. Well, because it's, are they introducing the paranormal or... Is it like the shadow moving you see out of the corner of your eye? Or is it the the psychology of the person who's involved in the scene? Yeah, like is it an overactive imagination? Because like, again, like as a kid, I'd probably be scared of the same random shit, right? Yeah, like thinking exactly. something's down a hallway, something. So again, like you're always leaving the viewer questioning. Yeah. And again, it's I think the horror that he's playing with here is, yeah, that that exists. But the way that we react and we respond to the possible and and the the uh, the consequences of that are the real horror. Right. Oh, yeah. So so Jack now Jack's doing good, though. Because he's downstairs and he's writing up a goddamn storm. And his wife, Wendy, she comes down to check in on him and he's writing. And and he gets all like weirdly defensive. Oh, God. So he's just he's such a fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. And you just get so much of like their relationship. And like, again, you you said earlier, like she's all ride or die. She's a complete apologist. Yeah. Whenever he acts a certain way, because she walks into the room and he's immediately annoyed at her. And her reaction is like, oh, don't be a grump. Oh, hey, you're you're just being a little fussy, grumpy pants. So a, a little bit about this scene is, um, first of all, you hear the typewriter that, that he's typing on. And there's a specific phrase that he's typing. Uh, but 
somebody told Kubrick that a the keys on a typewriter each sound slightly different, and it's because of the acoustics where they all strike from the middle, but each key, each metal key is a little bit longer or shorter than the next one. So acoustically, they're all slightly different. So he recorded somebody typing this phrase over and over mm. on a typewriter and then used that in kind of an ADR uh, uh, way because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't be authentic. And this is Kubrick, so everything has to be authentic. Yeah, it, <laughs> it you didn't know it and it didn't add anything to the scene. But now that you know that, it's like totally makes sense. And uh, Jack Nicholson said that in this scene, it, it was very uncomfortable for him because he and his girlfriend got into very similar arguments because he used to write Jack Nicholson. and they had similar kind of arguments to the argument that's happening here between Jack and Wendy, where he, he actually said the line, you know, if you, if you come in here and you hear me or don't come in here, if you hear me typing, and if you come in here and you don't hear me typing, uh, I'm working. So leave me alone. And I love that when, when he says the line where she's like, Oh, okay, well maybe I'll just go make some sandwiches and come back later. <laughs> And he goes, yeah, why don't you start right now and get the fuck out? Yeah, get the fuck out of here. And that's immediately when you turn on Jack. Yeah, fuck this guy. Again, Kubrick sets this up so well. Is like the first hour of this movie is you trying to side with him and understand him. Mm-hmm. And immediately you're left abandoned. Yeah. Because you're sitting here going like, well, fuck, I don't like I don't like him. No, I like her. Yeah. I mean, I'm immediately on Wendy's side. Look, she was just going to make some sandwiches. Yeah. She just wanted to tell him that it was going to snow. And he's like, well, what the fuck am I going to do about that? Oh, yeah. That's so great. When she's like, (laughs) oh, there's a big snowstorm coming. He goes, what the fuck do you want me to do about it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a better example of like you just immediately switching protagonist and antagonist in one scene. Like just, just showing really clearly to the audience who you should be rooting for. In just two simple lines, which is, what do you want me to do about it? And why don't you start by getting the fuck out of here? Yeah, it was so fucking perfect. And and so well acted by, by both of the actors in the scene, which is why it's okay for Kubrick to abuse people. <laughs> uh, th- I agree with you. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know me. Always a Kubrick apologist. Uh, the well. Kubrick abusing actor apologist. <laughs> so now we see Jack, and he's staring off into space in a turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, if I didn't hate him before, you know. Oh. That fucking turtleneck. Yeah, and and the family's all playing, and he's like all bummed out because they're treating it like a vacation, and Jack has to keep working. This is really interesting because like we've completely detached from him yeah. at this point, right? The audience is no longer on his side. Yeah. Kubrick has shown you that he is not like he is a bad person, yeah, and you do reliable. not want to spend time with them. Yeah, so he's going to make you spend the rest of the movie with them. Yep. which is great, right? So, so good. You, dread having to be in the same room with him because you know he's going to do something fucking annoying or weird or just asshole just creepy or, that you, or yeah yes and you just kind of want to be with wendy and danny out there having fun yeah we end but you them. can't but right? we're stuck with him we're in this beautiful mountain resort and we're stuck with this fucking asshole who never leaves the same goddamn room yeah exactly <laughs> by his own choice and we'll find out later. He's he's maybe he's not even actually working. 
What a great shot, though, of him just fucking staring out that window. With this shithead, like, <laughs> asshole turtleneck. The turtleneck, I think, was, like, a great point. Again, use of color. Just a black turtleneck. Yeah. So now it's Saturday, and Jack, man, he's he's typing away again. And Wendy's like, I'm going to go uh, call people. Because I, I like phones, I'm going to make a call. <laughs> I like phones. Well, who doesn't? I mean, there's like a cool like indoor, outdoor payphone. And she's like, I'm going to make a phone call. I don't think she ever says who she's calling. But the phone lines don't work. And she's like, oh, shit. I'm gonna, I'll, I guess I'll test the ham radio. And that works. And she's like, hey, uh, people, uh, the cops with the ham radio, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, all the phone lines are down because it's snowed all the time. And it'll probably be cool in the spring. And I just, it just reminded me of growing up because, like I said, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and that shit happened every year. Like you would get snowed into your house, the phone, phones would not work, and you're stuck there. would there. always be some guy that would kill his family with an axe in the hotel. Yeah, and there's like a, a fucking bear blowing a guy, and you're like, I don't know what I'm going <laughs> to do. Oh, I'm sure you've seen that. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the bear wasn't alive, but it was blowing my friend. <laughs> So, so yeah, like, okay, we're doing a little bit of, you know, setting some stuff up. We go back to Danny riding his bike, and he's living it up, and he's uh, having a good time, and, uh, and, and twins. <laughs> holy shit, there's the twins again. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, and now this this is the scene. This is the scene where you, you know, you're like, oh. This is the, he's slowly a little party here. driving or riding around the corners. And he's cutting them kind of tight. And then you've got the, you've got that beautiful, like flowing pattern of the carpet. And he whips around the corner and he sees the twins and, and they're looking at him and they give him the, the, the line, the, the line from the shining with the twins. <laughs> They want him to stay here forever and ever. Come come play with us, man. <laughs> hey, dog, come play. Yeah, hey, dog, come play. Hey, dog, why don't you come play with us forever? Now, Eddie, I know you live near L.A. Have you ever been to the Alamo Draft House in L.A.? I haven't. Well, it's great because, well, if you can ever go back there, you know. Yeah. Uh, but when you walk down the great hallway that they have with this crazy carpet and... Mm-hmm. Um, amazing movie posters and wallpaper when you turn one corner the twins are standing right there wow it's fantastic i've been to the um, museum of death in la oh yeah right across from the scientology museum that's a hidden scientology yeah. museum yep that was fun <laughs> i i'm gonna have to check that out I'm, I'm down once the world has stopped ending so they're all uh fucked up and then he sees them all <laughs> dead and chopped up and on the ground whoops He's like, ah, shit. And he starts freaking out and he covers his eyes up. And then, and then they, this is such like, this is, this is Danny's best scene in the movie, I would say. Because he freaks out, he covers his eyes up, and then he starts like talking to, to, to Tony or Tommy or his finger guy. And his finger guy tells him, remember what Mr. Halloran said. It's just like pictures in a book, it isn't real. Yeah, And for me, this is like so interesting and important. I, lo- I love the idea that the apparitions 
uh, are comparable to pictures in a book. Like they're they're harmless and they they might even be imaginary, but the implication of them, past events, if that's what they are, like the smell of burnt toast, and they're a way that that history has a way of of repeating itself over and over and over again, and <laughs> and. That might even be the real threat that's going on here. What, what do you think about that, Mike? So what's interesting is that, like Kubrick said, the reason that he liked the Stephen King book mm-hmm. was that when he read it, he personally thought that you kept thinking it was psychological until it wasn't anymore. Yeah. And he wanted to convey that in the movie. And I think by doing this, he's shown you, like, from Danny's point of view. And he's firmly established that between him and Scatman, there's this thing of like, oh no, it's just pictures in a book. It's not real, right? It's just projections. So you've still left the audience with doubt. And I, I don't think, again, that I've ever seen a better example of a horror movie where I think the the big problem with most horror movies and where you'll like lose an average audience member, like say like my mom or something, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you're always going to have to flip that switch and you're going to have to like introduce the element that makes it a horror movie, right? Yeah. And it's such a delicate balance between whether or not your audience is going to buy that willingly, you know, because if you're watching a Freddy movie, you're like, oh yeah, you know, we're just going to, we're going to see Freddy kill a bunch of people, right? Yeah. Or if it's, it's pulled off in a convincing way. So even in this point, even though we're seeing these things, he still tells you as a viewer, like, yeah, but it might not be real. Like this might all just be in his imagination, right? Or maybe it's just, it is real, but it's just a projection. So it's not really real. You know, he just has this ability to see things. And so the audience still doesn't know, like, should we be scared? Is this stuff going on? And I think it's just fascinating. But it it also affects the way that he behaves and it draws a parallel with his father. And the father being the threat right now, it's it doesn't matter if it's real because it's creating a real threat. Well, what I think, too, is interesting with Jack is that, like, when he starts to react with things, he almost pretends like it doesn't exist, right? Well, he literally pretends like it does, doesn't exist here pretty soon. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's... Oh, my God. He... <sighs> this is why this movie is so amazingly challenging to like explain right because you could watch it just like dozens of times and like try to catch things like yeah and this is why it's great that you picked it for an episode of a podcast you know (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it's it's great yeah yeah so uh we're done with the twins and uh, we saw them you know chopped up and dead and uh we classic twins classic classic so now Danny's gonna go upstairs to the to his room and he's like, Man, I want my fire engine toy. Oh god, I love this was so he's watching TV with Wendy mm-hmm. and it's we'll say like what, like ten AM or something like that. The snow is crazy outside. Yeah, it's just snowing. And Danny's just like wants that one toy. Yeah. Just like a And he's kid. like, But it's in my room. And she's like, Yeah, but don't go wake your father. Yeah, your father's insane. Leave him alone. And he's like, Yeah, but I'm just gonna go get it right now. And she's just eventually just gives up, like, fine, whatever. Yeah, fine. Just go, on. <laughs> go up there. I guess he'll kill you or something. I yeah, don't what's the worst he gonna do? Rip know. your fucking elbow out of your socket again (laughs) it's gonna dislocate your shoulder again (laughs) maybe we'll get to go home maybe 
But uh, you don't get to go home. So he goes up there, and uh, his dad's acting kind of like crazy. He's like happy, and he's like, yeah. Acting kind of crazy? He's just sitting up straight in bed. Like, this is one of the best scenes is when Danny walks in, (laughs) and he's sneaking to get his fire engine, and you just see Jack sitting straight up in bed. Oh, hello, son. How are you? (laughs) I love the hotel. I'm cool here. I could stay here forever. Yeah, I love it. He's like, come over here. Sit with me. Come along, son. We'll go on a journey together in my head. And then he stares at a blank wall. Yeah, and I love that part, too, when he's like, what do you think of the hotel, son? And he's like, what do you think? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I love it, too. I want to stay here forever and ever (laughs) and ever and ever. And his son's like, yeah, that's cool. Hey, you would never, like, hurt me and mom, would you? What? What? (laughs) Yeah, he gives the scat man reaction at 237. Wait, what? Yeah. No, uh, you know, me? you know how like you're doing a good job as a dad when your child <laughs> asks you, would you ever hurt me and mom? <laughs> That's how you know, as a dad, you've like nailed it. You've made it. Yeah. You have done Feared, it. Feared, but respected. That's what you go for. <laughs> so Danny, like, he's like, all right, I'm cool. I got my fire engine. I'm going to go play cars. And uh, all of a sudden, the ball gets rolled over to him. And it took 50 takes to roll that ball to him. Did you know that? Yeah, because he wanted it a certain way. Because fucking Kubrick's crazy. Yeah, but you got to admit, Eddie, that roll was perfect. Yeah, if you're going to roll the ball, this is the way you roll it. <laughs> Danny gets up and he sees, uh-oh, room 237. That door is open. Yeah. God, I love this. It's it's so good. So think about this, too. Mm-hmm. Because there's still another, like, thing of doubt that's put into your mind at this point. Mm-hmm. About whether or not anything you're seeing is yeah, real. Yeah, because the kid's crazy. He's talking to his fucking finger. Yeah, and also we're like, okay, well, we know he's seeing things. We know that Scatman's established that these ghosts are not real. They're just some pictures in a book, right? And like, uh, okay, so this kid can see him, but nothing is real. Right. Nothing can actually hurt him. Yeah, the kid could just be picking up on shit from the past. Uh-huh. That's not And who's real. not in this scene? When he goes into that room. Who's not in the scene when he goes into the room? His mother. I don't see Jack in there, do you? Yeah, neither of them. Yeah. Yeah. So his mom's down hanging out in the boilers doing the work. (laughs) This is my favorite. I love this. (laughs) All of a sudden she hears like somebody screaming. And she's like, (laughs) you just just hear him go, (laughs) 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 like he's barking. (laughs) And she runs upstairs. She's like, what the fuck? (laughs) And he's just, he's laying on the table, sleeping, going, (gasps) yeah, he's like sprawled out on the table. And she's, by the way, she wasn't supposed to be working here. Mm -mm. And she's out in the boiler room, like doing the Freddy Krueger shit. (laughs) Yeah, got her. This is this your move? You're going to take a job and then make your wife do all the work? Oh yeah, you know, classic Goddard situation. Goddard. So she runs upstairs. Jack's sleeping at the desk and he's barking and having nightmares. She's like, "What's what's wrong?" This was. This is so good too. Yeah. So so good. So he wakes up. Is this like the first part where it's truly chilling? Yeah. This whole thing. This whole sequence is just well, amazing. I would say so, and it's because of Jack Nicholson's delivery of this line specifically, because he does not look like he's crazy at all. He looks like in a moment he's having like a bit of lucidity, and he's looking at his wife, and he's genuinely afraid. Yeah. yeah he says he has a nightmare, but that he killed them yeah. with an axe. I killed you 
and Danny, but I didn't just kill you. I cut you up into little pieces. I love how he does it like full faces of death style. You know, he's he's going to explain the whole thing, Eddie. Not just that news story version. No, 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 no. He gets into the grisly detail. And then he says, oh, my God. <laughs> Which and then when you see the reverse of Danny walking into that room, yeah, just this amazing cinematography. Like the mm-hmm. shot is of an adult, right? So we're from like an adult POV, which I think is very interesting. Because you see Danny just like very small in like the first third of the screen walking in, and you can't see his face. No, but you see Wendy and Jack there under the table, and Wendy's reaction to him is just like, "Danny, go to your room." Go to your room. All right, he's not going to do it. And so she runs over and she sees Eddie. That shit is real now. But this is where I think it's really interesting. Kubrick has made you think that maybe Jack actually did this. Yeah. Because we've established that he has hurt Danny before. Right. We never saw that they weren't in that same room together. Mm -hmm. We just see him wake up saying, oh, I did something terrible. Yep. And I mean, her first reaction, rightfully so, is... What the fuck? The fuck is wrong are with you? Are you okay? What the fuck are you talking about? But Danny shows up. He goes downstairs and props to the makeup department on this too. He looks like somebody choked him the fuck out. It looks like an adult choked him. An adult. Yeah, exactly. We got to keep that in mind for what comes later. Big meaty palms choked him yeah. out. And just Lane Maxwell, I don't want you listening to this and getting turned on. <laughs> secret pedophile, just Lane Maxwell. Um, See, I don't think it's much of a secret anymore, Eddie. So. Well, uh, to call her a pedophile, I, I'm going to say she's a pedophile. Well, takes you know, takes one to takes know one to know one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So then Wendy's like, "Hey, Jack, why did you do it again to Danny?" Like, why did you fuck Danny up again? And his reaction is just like, bitch. What? Me? What? I said, bitch. He's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> what? Then we fade into hallway and Jack's like ranting and walking. So this is, by the way, the first time that anybody's ever been physically touched by something in the hotel. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, was he physically touched by something in the hotel or not? We don't know. But again, yes, that's the thing that I love about it is that Kubrick never really tells you whether or not that happened. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's still a point of you don't know if it's real or not. It- it, it could be that, that the dad abused him, or it could be something supernatural. And in this scene with, with Jack walking and, and ranting down the hallways of the hotel, one of the things I love, again, with the use of color, is that the atmosphere of the hotel seems a little bit darker here. And fittingly, Jack's clothing match almost like perfectly the hallway that he's walking down. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about this is like, it's almost impossible to imagine that this bar in this room mm-hmm. could exist in this hotel. Well, before we get to the bar, though, while he's walking down the hallway, there are mirrors on the side. And I don't know what kind of a creative choice this was by Kubrick, but you don't see Jack Nicholson's reflection in any of the mirrors. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. But but he, as you said, he walks to a bar and he sits. That is very interesting because it doesn't fit with the rest of the hotel. No. No, right? not at all. It looks completely different. And then when you 
you look at the hotel, you're like, but this seems like the more I watch this movie, the more I realize that the hotel is not that big. No, like it's actually rather small. And then when you get to this point, you're just like, but this is almost like unreal at how big this would be. No, it's, right? it's massive. So like I used to work at a company that, that, that was a uh, third party listing company for eBay, but it was the biggest one for that. And they had conventions. eBay used to have conventions and it was all of the biggest sellers, all of the... Man, this have been quite the crowd, huh? Oh my god, they would hire professional musicians. Like, I mean, there was definitely a time when somebody killed their family with an axe on one of these, right? Absolutely. So they hired Chris Isaac to do a concert at this place. Oh god. Yeah. Wicked, Wicked games, games, baby. Chris Isaac, <laughs> exactly. So I go to this place, and, and this was a massive auditorium. And it, it didn't look like this bar in this this I mean, area. this is huge. Yeah, it's massive and daunting. And, and he just walks in, he sits down like he fucking owns the place. And he's like uh, looking around and, and again, mirror. He's like, hey, uh, I'd sell my goddamn soul for a drink. And I've been there. Yeah, so... <laughs> This is interesting because, like, we've never really established that he has a craving for alcohol until this point, right? We've established that he had a drinking problem. He stopped once he hurt Danny. He dislocated his son's shoulder, and he's like, I'm never going to drink again for for five months. And we should say, while he's walking to this bar, he's like, that stupid son of a bitch probably did it to himself, that dumb kid. And fuck her, too, for blaming me. Fucking never touched him. Fuck him. One time I did it. You know, one time you come home and you're a little shit scattered by papers everywhere. Yeah, for real. You see that bridge out there? I built that bridge with my bare hands. You see that bakery? I opened that bakery myself. They don't call me the bridge builder or the baker, but you fuck one goat. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, you're the goat fucker. That's that's the end never of that let, Yeah, he's always like, she'll never let me forget she'll it. Never, never fucking let me, let me forget it. So and then he's talking to Lloyd. He just starts talking to Lloyd, and we don't see Lloyd. And this is so interesting to me. Because in his head, there's a Lloyd, or maybe Lloyd's in him. I don't know. Again, it's like just the, another great move by Kubrick, yeah. is that you still don't know if this is real or not. But... Lloyd appears. But what's so great about it is like, we've only seen him talking from his point of view. Yeah. And then when we finally get the reverse and we see Lloyd, you still as the audience don't know. Yeah. You're like, oh, he's just, this is maybe some imagination thing. He's going crazy. Yeah. And he tells Lloyd, hey, I could use a bottle of bourbon, a glass, and some ice. And Lloyd's like, Phew. No, I thought this was an interesting choice. He's at a fancy hotel. What kind of, what kind of bourbon are they pouring? Oh, Jack Daniels. Fucking Jack Daniels. The, the rot gut shit bourbon. I know. I was like, really? He could have at least given him makers. Like, that would have been <laughs> decent. Yeah, you know? But it's like, he pulls out the fucking Jack? Jack on the rocks. Ugh. Come on, man. The the first time I got the worst drunk I ever got was on Jack Daniels. And I think that's Ugh. pretty common. I just broke up with my girlfriend and I was hanging out in the trailer park with what she'll never let me she'll never let it go. Never let it go. And uh, I was hanging out in a trailer park with my friend Bruce who used to like getting naked and going out into a field and he got mad because it rained on his birthday and so he got pissed at God and he was yelling at God in a field. Classic Bruce. But he was naked and I'm like I'm going to hang out in here 
here, and I threw up in a Slurpee container oh. with the lid on. Uh, so that's what <laughs> happened when I drank uh, Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels, you don't drink it on ice. It's made to go with Coke. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much Please it. Please don't drink it, because it's not very good. <laughs> but it's Jack, right? We got Jack drinking jack yeah. Yeah. so he starts talking about the white man's burden and i'm like yeah man i that fucking shit get is that. like what no i get that <laughs> like it's a white man you <laughs> i just start getting into like <laughs> that crazy white nationalist shit right now well you know what's interesting do you notice at this scene when he says the line about his wallet yeah where he says i got two 20s and two 10s and they're just fucking i've been waiting waiting to Holding on get to rid this. of them but when he pulls out his wallet eddie in this scene what's he got in there He's got a moth that flies out. Yeah, he's got nothing. <laughs> Broke but it was interesting joke. with later what happens. Yeah, yeah. So he starts downing him. Ugh, Jack on the rocks. That's not a good drink. Like, it's <laughs> gross. What would you... I don't know why you would do that. Well, Jack Daniels was really insistent. as like, we kind of want the crazy dad crowd, so we'd <laughs> love to get this in the shading. Yeah. So yeah. They tried to clear it with Makers, Eddie, and they were like, fuck no, but they called up Jack Daniels, and they were like, how many do you want? Yeah, they're, they're like, look, man, I mean, we got, like, mirrors that have, like, etched... <laughs> Jack Daniels logos in them. And, uh, it's the type of alcohol you buy, you get a free glass, you know? Like It's not good. It's not good. Anytime they're giving you a prize when you buy alcohol, don't buy that alcohol. <laughs> That's just a bad move. So he gets drunk, I guess. In the the book, this is a little bit different. He, basically, he finds, like, cooking sherry in the kitchen huh. and starts drinking that. Interesting. It's kind of implied that he does it. They never really get into the, that that's what causes it, but, but they kind of imply it. And again, they never really show him drunk. Yeah. Right? So again, you're still questioning whether or not any of this is real. Yeah. So he's talking about, hey, you know, uh, I accidentally hit Danny, you know, that kind of thing happens. And and, and uh, this actually mirrors Stephen King. He, he had a similar incident with his son, where his son um, accidentally knocked over Paige of a book that he was working on and King was like I, I want to kill that fucking kid <laughs> it's true it's what King said but I think it was because he probably had uh, coke on the book that, that the kid knocked oh, up 100% because he had coke on the book so then Wendy runs in with a bat and, and she's like hey there was a Danny said that a crazy woman tried to strangle him so this is what I think is interesting is that like we've established that we can trust Wendy yes Right? Yes. So now you have your protagonist, basically, mm-hmm. in the audience's eyes, or at least somebody they can sympathize yeah. with, telling you, oh, no, it actually is real. There's some craziness, yeah. right? Like, there's something paranormal going on, and that must explain what happened. And again, she, you know, she's a real ride or die. And it exonerates you know, a- Jack, who was our original protagonist, who we just saw did not choke Danny out like we never saw that happen yeah but we never saw it happen yeah but we're like again we spent that first part of the movie kind of getting to like Jack Mm -hmm. a little bit so we're like oh okay well I want to believe that he had nothing to do with this makes sense there was a crazy woman that was hanging out in the bad room we all know it's a bad room because Scatman which just think about this by the way logical sense that Stanley Kubrick has now made you feel throughout like an hour and 40 minutes into this movie that oh that's certainly plausible that 
there's some crazy woman in a room, right? Yeah. And it doesn't even seem far-fetched at this yeah, point. Yeah, just hanging out in this yeah. abandoned hotel. Like, okay, cool. I, I guess. I'm I'm with you. Whatever. It makes more sense than the opposite. So then we cut to, to Scatman, and he's watching the news. Oh, gosh. He's chilling out in his hotel room. And uh, Mike, go ahead and describe this hotel room for us. So actually, I th- is this his hotel room or is this where he lives? Because he, uh, we know that he like has a house in Florida. I hope this is where he lives. This, this room- I'm pretty sure this is his house because we'll get to see the, like uh, I guess, living room area oh, later. Yeah, yeah. So this room almost perfectly mirrors my recording room. And I don't like <laughs> so, what I love about it is like it has the classic painting, which is... We pan out from a news report, mm-hmm. right? Which is amazing that we cut from Wendy frantically saying there's a crazy woman in the hotel to what do we do, Eddie? immediately snap to reality yeah so we've established like all these insane things going on and we're like what the fuck is going and we're back to reality because we're watching a news report about oh some sort of like big snowstorm or something and like everything going on in the world and we pan out to see that it's scat man watching tv he's just chilling he's good and then we keep panning out from the tv in that classic kubrick zoom to reveal this amazing painting of a naked woman with the largest afro of all time yeah This is like the penultimate afro. And then you do the reverse of Scatman to to reveal that there's another (laughs) naked painting above him. Yeah, in case he gets tired of looking at the first one when he's beating his dick, he can like flip it 180 degrees and be like, well, there's there's Sheila. I just love the idea that like, dude, you get so rich at some point, the porn becomes class, man. It's like a fucking painting on the wall. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. You need to commission that shit. Oh, my God. That's what I've got to do. I've got to commission oil paintings of just <laughs> nude women. Ah, so good. Also, the framing of everything in the scene is so great. Yeah, it's very, very beautifully shot. The perfection of like the TV being exactly between his legs, and he has two two light uh, lamps on either side of the TV that are exactly equal distance from each other, which also, again kind of does something interesting eddie is that we thought we've snapped back into reality haven't we mm-hmm. but this reality doesn't seem so real because when we pull out and we see everything is framed so perfectly yeah and there's these comical pictures of naked women on the walls we're still questioning like what yeah and i think it's a very subtle way of being like don't get too comfortable Who lives here yeah no one lives here <laughs> Who lives here this is not a real <laughs> place this this is an idealized place yeah and i think it's interesting is like we've always kind of like laughed about this type of stuff but when you think about it it is this bizarre way of being like reinforcing that don't ever get too comfortable yeah no it totally does it's one thing with this movie you're on the balls of your feet the entire time oh yeah it's so hard to stop watching yeah once once you get past all the boring long shit at the beginning <laughs> if you're a 15 year old like me who's watching faces of death it's fucking crazy i mean that's like me as a kid when i'd watch home alone i was like just get to the last 45 minutes i would just fucking fast forward yeah. that shit to the traps Come on, right i want to try to figure out what that thing is he hung on the doorknob spoiler alert it's what you use to ignite charcoal if you don't have a lighter <laughs> which by the way is very 
very funny when I watch Home Alone, like as an adult, I could care less for the fucking trap parts, you know? It's yeah. like more about like all the jokes shoved into the first half. So it's interesting. Not having anything to do with the recording, but did you see the, um, it was on Shutter. It was a horror movie about, it was like a home invasion movie reversed with young boys that captured the babysitter girl oh i did not see this oh my god i don't remember the name of it but but basically like there it's this home invasion horror movie where kids kidnap their babysitter and and they also kidnap her boyfriend and at one point they're like yeah that whole scene with the paint can coming down from the stairs that would kill a dude and the other guy's like no it wouldn't he's like yeah let's just tie the boyfriend up and try it on him and they fucking do that with practical effects in frame with what they approximate it would look like and it just caves this dude's fucking face in it's so good love it anyhow we'll get back to the the movie we're, we're actually doing well yeah so like we also established that we're not really in the real world yet because yeah. Scatman is just st- sitting there yep and then that music cue comes back that whenever danny has one of his episodes or the shining type of thing feedbacky ear rape we know something's going on because Scatman's just sitting there with his mouth open he's like staring at the ceiling yeah and we're like um you see some visions of 237 he sees danny drooling <laughs> so god and the just the, the use of color again and and tone and mood is is amazing so jack jack's gonna go into 237 so this scene is probably one of the scariest scenes like yeah. in any movie just because of the way that it's shot and how slow it is <sighs> And like when you watch it, you're like, it shouldn't be scary because there's no jump scare or anything like yeah. that. Right. But it's just the tone of it all. Well, and the creepiness involved with it and just like not knowing what the fuck is going they on. Set you up for it because we we've established what the color palette is for this movie. It's red. It's blue. It's yellow. This is the first time we enter a, a, a room where it's purples and greens. Looks completely different. Completely different, and something's just not fucking right. That's the the immediate feeling I get when I see the scene. Something's not right. There's a problem. Yeah, it is interesting how it just looks completely different than anything else in the rest of the hotel. Kind of like the bar. Yeah. Uh, so Jack starts walking into the bathroom, and uh, finally, how long into the movie are we? Probably. Oh, like, I think there's only like 40 minutes yeah, left like an, at this Over point. an hour and finally some fucking tits. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I've been waiting for so long. Tits in a tub. He's walking in there and, and this this lady gets out and she is all limbs. She seems so dauntingly tall. Yeah, it is weird. But, but then when he like walks near her, she, we realize like she's not that tall. Yeah, it's like a forced perspective thing. It is weird, right? Yeah, and there's some nice bush, too. We we get to see her But even, bush. like, the casting of this woman looks odd. Yeah, she doesn't seem like she's the chick you have nude in your movie in 1980. She's, no, screwballs, this isn't. You know? Yeah, yeah. Th- this is no joysticks. So he... <laughs> I mean, it wasn't your house, but, you know. But, so he walks up to her, and, and uh, it seems like they're both down to fuck. So they're like kissing and, and they're having a good time. And then mirror problem. Uh-oh. 
It's Eddie as a child in that room with the broken sink. Yeah, you know? yeah. and then it's me making out with one of the maids with her weird <laughs> skin condition. Uh, no, it's some old melty broad. Apparently in the book, there's some character that like she had like been notorious for sleeping with bellhops mm-hmm. throughout the years. Like you do. And then eventually she got like stood up by one of them or something. So she drowned herself in the tub. Yeah, like you do. And, like, that's not explained in the movie. And then you blame it on the bellhop. So people have, like, tried to explain this scene as being something related to the book. Or this is kind of like the full, the switch has been pulled, right? Yeah. Because. I take it as the switch is pulled. Everything after this, we start to see that Jack has completely let go. Yeah. And that things might actually be real. Yeah. I, I take this as the, this is when they're pulling the switch and it's like, okay, now now we're flipping it over 100%. Oh, and that scene when she just keeps laughing and following oh, him God, up. just laying in the tub dead and just laughing at his ass. But I got to tell you my favorite part about all this. Yeah. When he goes back to the room and Wendy was like, well, what'd you see in there? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, he nopes the fuck out. He like backs yep. out of the room. He doesn't even turn his back on that shit. He's like, I'm, I gotta go, but I don't trust this shit. So what's interesting is like, this is the first time in the movie that anybody is actually explicitly denied something that yeah. happened, right? And to the worst degree, too. Yeah, because we saw it. We saw it was real. We saw this whole thing. This sequence scared the shit out of him. And he walked out of this room and he was terrified, right? It fucked him up. And this is the only thing that we know of, like, something physically happened to somebody in this room, to both Danny and to Jack. Yeah, and and he's like, ah, it was cool. There was nothing in there. And by the way, you were going in there to try to find the woman that beat the shit out of your kid. Yeah. And so, okay, now she's not there. Guess what? You did it again. Uh Uh-huh. So she's like, okay, well, what about the bruises? And, you know, the other thing that's crazy is, like, this is the first time anybody's lied to you. Yes. You know the truth. Yes. But when he goes back to that room, you completely know at this point that Jack is unreliable as your narrator. Finally. Because he yeah. lies to Wendy when she asks, like, hey, what went on in that room? He's like, eh, I don't know. Just normal. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. It was cool. Kid's fucking crazy, you know? She's like, all right, well, you beat the shit out of the kid. I don't trust you. I love this part when he sits down on the bed and he goes, Wendy, uh, I think he did it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> wait, well, wait a minute. This he is the most insane explanation. With man hands? <laughs> with man hands that he choked himself out. Because she even looks at him, she's like, uh-huh. What? Uh. And this is kind of interesting because this is the point when she actually switches on him, too. Yeah, she's, she's like, done with his shit now. Yeah. She's fully done with his shit. It's over. And so now now we, we catch a Danny, and he's, like, staring off again. Yeah, he's been having a... Se- he, well, he's having this seizure... The whole time that that woman was there. So again, Kubrick even does this thing where like, we don't know. Was like Danny projecting that? Yeah. Like, we don't know at this point. But he sees uh, red rum on the door. Uh Uh-oh. That that might that might come up later. This is the thing that like Tony, we aren't sure about Tony, right? We've been scared of him to this point because it's like it's really creepy to watch a fucking kid talk to his finger. Yeah, it's a problem. But then we start to think back on like, well, what has the things that Tony's actually said? Right. Tony 
was warning Danny to not go to this hotel. He knew yes. that Jack got the job at this hotel. Mm-hmm. So what did he do to Danny to try to get him to not go to the hotel? Well, he had gave him a seizure, didn't he? Yeah. It's almost like they're a warning mechanism trying to prevent him from imminent doom. Mm-hmm. Like Tony, because it was described earlier in the movie that Danny was brushing his teeth when he passed mm-hmm. out and apparently hit his head. Yeah. Well, that's when he was talking to Tony. And that's when they discussed that Jack got that job. So he was trying at this point you realize like Tony's not bad no he was actually continually trying to get Danny to not go to the hotel to not go in there like he's actually protecting him so at this point there's only one choice is that Tony takes over by the way uh, Tony uh, that's Tony Danza from Who's the Boss (laughs) and he's taking over so he gets to be the boss finally but do you ever wonder is Tony just Dick Howard could be could be because he knows Danny yes he knows Danny knows how to shine yes how long has Tony been around you realize well Tony came around just shortly after a traumatic event in Danny's life which led to them moving to Boulder which led to them going to this hotel that's that's true But did O'Halloran know him before then? It's almost as if this has all happened before. It's almost as if it's all happened before. Wendy's like, yeah, I want to get the fuck out of here. Which, like, again, I would have been out of here when the kids started talking to his finger. Like, that would have been when I was out as a mother. Yeah, but she's like, yeah, you know, that's just... Boys will be boys. Yeah, but as a mother, I would have been out of there when he did that. So then Jack's like freaking out and she's like, hey. Oh, I love this part when he's just like, don't you realize the the obligation I have to my employer? You're trying to sabotage (laughs) me. It's like, what? Bitch. (laughs) But this is just like also it's a very like common like I don't know this weird like husband wife dynamic that you're exploring at this point right like yeah the idea that the wife is somehow trying to sabotage the husband by like getting in the way of his success and it's always an easy scapegoat that like oh well you know if all, I would have been a writer if it wasn't for her or yeah. it wasn't for the kid or whatever it is right yeah so like he falls back onto these just tropes of like oh oh, yeah, you're just trying to sabotage me because this is my employer and I I have an obligation to stay here until May. I don't give a fuck how crazy you think it is. Yeah, and it's also like kind of a commentary on the way that society only values men for what they're able to produce and the the like amount of money that they're able to earn. When a woman might have genuine concerns with things like relationships and trust and safety, and if they try to express those, it, it runs counter to the man's whole like thing that has been beaten into him since day one about well. You better produce and make money. Yeah. So then uh, uh, we see an elevator. <laughs> women, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, women. Then we see an elevator full of blood again. Oh, mm. which apparently they had to shoot twice, which pissed off everybody on the crew. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick didn't like it the first time. Well, <laughs> it because took of nine the, days to set up that job. Because of the cleanup on it, too. He didn't <laughs> like it. Nine days. He didn't like it because the fake blood didn't look like real blood. But it's like, have you ever seen real blood do that, Kubrick? How do you know it doesn't look real? Well, all I know is do it again. Keep going. Nine days. Nine fucking days. Then Jack storms off. And at this point, he's like going through the kitchen and he's like knocking everything over. Man, some worker he was. I would have fired him. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Yeah, after all this talk about like how he's loyal to his employer, he's like knocking pots and pans over. What a piece of shit. <laughs> You know what's really interesting, Eddie, is you start to realize you actually don't see anything paranormal in any other places that seem like normal parts of the hotel. Yeah. So in other than 237 or the bar, places that do not match the rest of this hotel, nothing seems to happen there, does it? Yeah, it all seems like a hotel. It just seems normal. Because he's just walking through the kitchen being a bad employee, you know. Until he gets to the hallway. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And once he's in the hallway, buddy, it's a it's a party. There's music, there's balloons, yeah. And uh, Jack, he walks into a classic party. We when we get um, anachronistic music that, oh, that, so that was actually recorded live in the 1960s, but this was supposed to take place in the 20s. Spoiler alert! And we see Lloyd. Oh, our, our buddy. I don't know, Eddie. I actually think that's on purpose. Believe it or not, I believe it's on purpose also um so we see lloyd our, our buddy the bartender and he's like hey uh lloyd bourbon on the rocks again and this time uh he, he gets his drinks and he reaches for his wallet it's full now oh boy and he's he's plum rich and he's like hey here, here's the money but oh your money's no good here mr torrance hmm and i love this part is he's like it's on the house and i love when jack says well i'm the type of guy who wants to know who's buying his drink yes this is an interesting question that comes because it's a matter that doesn't concern you yes so before jack says i'd sell my goddamn soul for a drink and he gets his drink. Very on the nose, right? He's very on the nose. And he gets his drink. But that at that point, he's not concerned so much because he just doesn't have money. And they're like, ah, it's cool. Your credit is good here. At this point, he's got the money. But eh, it's like it doesn't matter. It's already over. You've already lost. Oh, and then we get probably one of the best scenes in this movie. Oh, you're talking about the waiter that spills the advocate on this him? This son of a bitch. <laughs> this clumsy motherfucker. This fucking dude. Also, fucking geriatric waiter here. We got <laughs> Yeah, we got some dude from the Golden Girls like he was dating Ruth. <laughs> So what's interesting about this is that it's this guy that Jack keeps calling Jeevesy boy. Yeah. Right? Like, he keeps calling him Jeeves, and he looks exactly like Ask Jeeves. Well, I'm sorry. For those of us who are under (laughs) 100, what's Ask Jeeves? Well, the website, Ask Jeeves, it was like one of the original search engines, you know? Yeah. That dogpile. Is that like a Google? Yeah, it was like a Google, you know? You can still see the Ask Jeeves uh, building in Oakland, if you go to downtown Oakland. But he keeps calling him Jeeves in this, like, derogatory way, which is interesting, right? Yeah. So, like, he's not dressed well jack has walked in here with jeans and a jacket on and he has that great line where he's like you know oh, i got other jackets you know jeeves is gonna take him to the the restroom to wash it off right yeah. and he keeps demeaning this man in an interesting way For no reason no because he's never treated anybody like that but wendy before right but it's yeah. like oh he's treating the help like the help right right interesting yeah because what happens in this next scene Eddie? oh yeah because he he's in the uh bathroom by the way set design in here right like 
incredible. So there's like a weird muted red that's most of the color in this bathroom. And it's, you almost feel like, I don't know how to describe it, but the set design in here makes you feel on edge. It's very, very uncomfortable. There's so many lights, which is interesting because usually we're trained in a horror movie to be scared of the dark. Yeah, but... This this is putting you on edge and it's making you feel like I'm something's going to happen. Something major and bad is about to happen right now. The crazy thing is like, do you notice the, the sound design of this scene is just the party? Yeah. Like you just hear the music, which is a haunting song going on yeah. like that. But the dialogue is never accentuated by any sort of like scary music that we've no. heard before. But no, it, it, man, is this haunting. It seems completely diagenic, but it, it completely works with the scene. Because he learns his name. He's like, hey, you're the waiter, and, uh... Yeah, what do they call you, sir? What do they call you, Jeevesy boy? Grady. Grady. I know a Grady. Grady, you're the guy that killed his family. You killed your wife, and you killed, uh... And your twins! (laughs) Your twins. I love the way that Grady responds to this, is he's like, you know, I don't recall... Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he tells Jack, he's like, I- I'm sorry, man, but uh, you're you you're the caretaker, man, and you've always been the caretaker. And, oh, that because that scene, Jack says when when he goes like Grady, Grady, and yeah. he looks at him and he takes the the wet towel, right, yeah. and he goes, "You were the caretaker here. Yep, you killed your family. Yeah, and then you killed yourself." And I love that when Grady looks at him and he goes, I'm sorry, sir, you're mistaken. Yeah. You're the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. And I know that because I've always been here. God, it is such a good scene. Like, oh, it just stops all of the energy of the movie dead in its tracks. And it's like, okay, we're about shit's about to get turned on its ear. And then he starts uh, calling Scatman the N word. Yeah, that's (laughs) (laughs) he's like, oh, by the way, your son is calling the N word guy. This is okay, beyond the Edward part. Yeah, okay, this is really interesting because Grady drops the act yeah and immediately says to him like he admits he says to him like my my wife needed to be quote corrected yeah and my my uh uh my well they were fucking around so they got killed too and the wife was interfering so i took care of her corrected right and he says your son is trying to bring an outside party Mm -hmm. into this situation yep and that outside party is an N-word. And it's like, that's weird. But but moreover, how does he know? Well. How does Grady know? Or if there is no Grady and it is Jack, which of course, how does Jack know? I think this is when we've really, like, this is the part in the movie 
where Stanley Kubrick gets you to buy into that something must be going on beyond him being crazy. Yeah. And in in the next scene, th- there's a little interesting thing that happens too to, to kind of help with that. Then Jack walks out of there and he walks by the radio room because this whole time uh, Scatman has been trying to get here and he tried calling, nobody answered, and he, he called the sheriffs and the sheriffs are like, yeah, we'll radio them. Jack walks into the radio room and he he kills the radio but he doesn't kill the radio by like smashing it which is what you would expect yeah this is interesting he just very like calmly just slides the housing off of it and pulls a single fuse out of the radio and you know what i thought was interesting is that you don't see him destroy those fuses no. he just takes them he right just so like easily plucks one out yeah it's such a weird it's such an interesting move it's so knowing and it's so methodical for a character that we've seen be not knowing and not methodical this entire movie yeah it's almost like you know he's kind of running on instinct at this maybe, maybe he's done it before yeah yeah like he knows what's behind every corner eddie yeah yeah so now we're back to wendy and she's wandering around with her bat again and she sees the typewriter that, oh gosh. that Jack's been working on all this time. And now we get the classic scene where it says, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Now, has there ever been a scarier scene without a jump scare in a movie? We don't even have the killer or anybody in the room. And this is just truly terrifying the way that this is filmed. Yeah. Her just like, Shelley Duvall is just breaking down into a fucking panic. Yeah. As she's going through these pages. And as the audience, when you see these pages, you're just like, oh, okay, something is very wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's a couple of reasons. So for one, Kubrick had his secretary spend weeks, if not months, <laughs> typing up pages that just said all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy in different formats, in different structures. Because if you look at the pages, it's not as though it's like line by line, they all match and you could just photocopy it. No, because there's somewhere it's make Jack's adult bot, adult dog. Yeah adult boy and and it's it's very unnerving because i think the realization that you have now um from her perspective is i've been living with a madman and i don't know how long i've been living with a fucking madman because he's been typing this this whole time (laughs) and you know what's really great is that this whole movie is shot in like extreme wide shot Mm mm-hmm these are one of the two shots that are completely in close up in a very claustrophobic way oh, yeah. of her looking at the papers and then the papers themselves. But we never actually get the wide shot until Jack walks into the room. Jack walks up behind her <laughs> and she says, I'm going to talk. <laughs> and he says, all right, what about? And she says, I forgot. And he says, I think we should discuss Danny and what to do with him. And it's such a like, it's such a weird back and forth. And it's so fucking menacing, especially because now Danny sees the blood flowing through the hallways. 
Oh yeah, at this Shit's, point. It's getting real at this point. Everything is falling apart. The dam has broken. And Shelley Duvall has this amazing sequence where she's walking backwards up the stairs. Well, yeah, but Jack, Jack gets into it with her about not living up to her responsibilities and how... Oh, yeah, he keeps going on about his employer. Yeah. And how she's trying to sabotage him. Yeah, and the white man's burden, and he starts, like, talking about, like, how they're changing it so that the white man is no longer the majority in America and you should vote for Trump and oh, oh no wait sorry that's a that, that's a different movie no, it's almost like he's been here a bunch of times before you know yeah <laughs> but you're right so so there's this long walk up the stairs backwards and she's just terrified and it's such a great performance in it's this scene incredible and 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 we get the the famous Jack Nicholson lines the Wendy darling light of my life I'm not going to hurt you Okay, you didn't let me finish my sentence. I said I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. <laughs> Wendy, give me the bat. Stop swinging. I'm going to bash him the fuck in. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, yeah, bash that bitch's brains in. I'm with. No, I'm kidding. I mean, the audience fully on Jack side at this point. Half hard, standing up applaud. The God, it's so good. And uh, supposedly, well, not. For real. But the claim was that this scene took 127 takes. No wonder she was fucking crying her eyes out. Which is uh, recorded to be the most takes for a single scene in the Guinness Book of World Records. But their assistant editor and Steadicam operator said it actually took closer to 35 or 40 takes. Just seemed like 200, you know. Yeah, because like... This is a very long scene, and her walking backwards upstairs. Like, walking upstairs already sucks. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Doing it backwards and swinging a bat at Jack Nicholson? Like, <laughs> I don't think I could do that twice. So uh, she she hits him in his fucking head, and he falls down the stairs. Oh, and it's so good. She clocks his ass. Nails him. Just like she she uh, holds the bat up, she points to... You know, we had all those cartoon field. references early, Eddie. Why couldn't we get, like, a, you know, a classic Bugs Bunny or type a little, of sound? Uh, Casey at the plate, you know? And, uh, <laughs> smacks him a good one, he rolls down there, and then she just drags his ass into the dry storage area. Oh, I love it. And locks him in. And uh, so she's like, all right, look, man, here's what's going to go down while you're back there. I'm going to get on the snowcat, and I'm going to go back to town. I'm going to get a doctor, and uh, we're going to take a look at your brain because uh, shit's fucked up, shit's all messed up. There's a problem. And here's the other thing is like, so again, it's a Kubrick thing is that we've established that we are in a real place now. Yes. So when we are in the kitchen in the dry storage, we've established that like, well, things are normal here, except there was one time that something weird did happen in the dry storage. Mm -hmm. And that was when Scatman did a shining thing to Danny. Yeah. But at this point, we're almost to made feel at ease. Like, okay, no, she's got it figured out. She put him in there. Maybe they can get out of here. Well, yeah, she's taking control of, of the antagonist. Right? Mm -hmm. She knocked him out as a human and drug him as a human into a place and locked him in there. And we feel psychologically like this is a safe place. Nothing's ever bad has happened in yeah. here. So she runs out and she's like, I'm going to get on the snowcat and uh-oh. Oh, I love it because she says I'm going to get on the snowcat and Jack's response is like, yeah, yeah. just try it. <laughs> Good luck, you fucking whore. <laughs> and she runs out there and he ripped out the distributor cap of it and cut all the wires. <laughs> 
So it's like, fuck. Like, I don't know what the firing order is. I could maybe, like, fix the wires, but who knows the firing order on this thing? I don't have a manual. Like, this is going to be annoying. So we, we go back to a locked-up Jack. He's sitting there, like, been eating Oreos and peanut butter. <laughs> And by the way, uh, speaking of peanut butter, did you know that Gordon Ramsay famously makes very bad peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Yeah, you're upsetting me on Twitter about this. Well, he really does. Like one thing that I, I wasn't talking about is he has said that uh, you should not use chunky peanut butter ever. Wrong. You should only ever use the smooth peanut butter and you want to keep it in the refrigerator so that it's cold oh when you spread it on the bread. He's a monster. This man is a menace. That's insane. Almost as insane as Jack when he's conversing through the pantry door with me, Grady. <laughs> so this is when we've established that the pantry is no longer a safe space. We now know, uh-oh, Grady's here. So, like, it's crossed into the real world, right? So, like, yes. we've been in all these fantastical places with, like, this bizarre set design in that the bar and the bathroom and that hotel room 237, right? Yeah. But now, all of a sudden, all of that shit that we thought was just maybe made up is now becoming real because Grady appears here. Yeah. It's like, you should probably kill your family. Also, you're doing a shitty job, dude. Yeah. Why are you not living up to the expectations? <laughs> you're you're not taking care of the Overlook Hotel. And then we know, this is so amazing, I think, though, yeah. like, on so many levels that how do we know that this shit is real? Well, is it he gets let out of here? He unlocks the fucking door. That's that at this point is this is the like I'm, I'm in the theater i stand up and i put my my hand over my mouth and i'm like oh shit yeah this is when the audience knows that i don't think that anybody's gonna be okay anymore yeah we're all fucked now we're all in the same ride jack's free and the overlook hotel or grady i don't know is supporting him mm -hmm. it actually can affect the reality so yeah. like a door was unlocked as a result of what we thought might have been a manifestation at this point. Right. And now we know it's not a manifestation. It's legit. And wouldn't you know it, Halloran shows up just in time to save the day. Oh, my God. This is... So we should say, like, Scatman has been on the longest journey. There's a part where it shows him on an airplane. Yeah. He, like, gets a snowcat from a friend of his. Which, by the way, that phone call that Scatman has with that guy is so classic. When he's like, Scatman, why do you need to go up to the hotel now? And he's like, well, just between you and me, the people we uh, picked to be the caretakers. Real assholes. Yeah. And he uses the term asshole. Total asshole. <laughs> Total yeah. assholes. So I need to go up there and check on him and eh, probably... Probably gonna have to replace that son of a bitch. He runs out of gas. He pulls over to the gas station. He's filling up. Like, I mean, you have this amazing thing, this sequence of like, it has taken him fucking days to get here, yeah. and he walks in Eddie, and he's like, "Hello, hey, what's <laughs> what's going on?" And oh shit! At the exact same moment, Jack walks around the corner. This is to me one of the funniest scenes in movie history. <laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> it's just. The idea that this guy has taken so long to get here and all he gets for his troubles is a fucking axe right in the chest. Yeah, we can't malign 
axes here. <laughs> he does get hit with a sharp object into the chest, which does terminate his life. Halloran's dead. This, by the way, is the full thing. So we've we've already been like, as an audience, Kubrick has shown you, like, we can't trust what's real and what's fake anymore. Everything yeah. must be real because that door was unlocked. Exactly. Then we get, but there's a glimmer of hope because Scatman's coming here. And this, this is the moment when the audience is like, we are truly fucked yeah. because there is no way out of this situation In at this literally point. every other movie, he saves the day. Uh-huh. And in fact, he was supposed to save the day in this movie. Yeah, but he doesn't. Because <laughs> in the Stephen King book, uh, Halloran lives and saves the family. And he talks about shrimp creole a lot, which is a very good recipe. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he just gives a fucking axe to his chest and he's dead. So imagine somebody that like did read the book and they're watching the movie and they're like, well, I know how this well, is going to end. And they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, It's like if in Titanic... They like cut through the <laughs> they cut through the iceberg, and then uh, Jack uh, opens up uh, a, a, a tea and coffee house. And yeah, like, and then the he just fuck? axes Kate Winslet. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> Now we're fucked. We have no hero. I mean, we have Wendy, but she's been having some fucking problems. So because she's getting like chased around. Yeah. Speaking of problems, and uh, Andy, Andy's out of his goddamn mind. He's just like doing the red rum kick, the chanting. It. Oh yeah, this yeah this part. Well, because isn't this the part where Wendy runs back to yeah. the apartment and she sees, as you saw in that hotel room, as a young child. Yep. <laughs> they told you to go uh, go check on that room that was making all those weird noises, Eddie. You knocked on the door; it swung open a little bit. Oh yeah, no, I remember this. This this was the thing. The first thing I saw was bare ass, <laughs> and and then it was a bear and he was sucking a dick. This is okay. So like, this is always the thing that everybody's like, "Oh yeah, that scene was fucking weird, yeah. right?" Like people forget about this scene in uh -huh. The Shining, but like if you remember it, it's fucking hilarious because you're like what the hell like what does this have to fit in with the rest of the movie yeah it's exactly i'm like what am i supposed to take from this so apparently in the book there's this whole sequence where the owner of the hotel i don't know if you call it like a gay lover or just this guy that was like infatuated with him that he i guess humiliated by making him dress up like a dog at the july 4th party mm -hmm. but none of that's established in this movie <laughs> So we just see a guy in a dog suit blowing another dude. And they both give her a look like, yeah, what do you want? Do you mind? <laughs> it's like, look, he's not going to make this movie for another two decades. So uh. look, this is going to sexually inform a future generation <laughs> of furries. Right yeah. now, this is not for you. It's the it's the Michael J. Fox in uh, uh, Back to the Future doing Johnny Be Good. And then he busts out the metal riff. And he's like, look, man, you're not into this, but your kids, they're going to love it. <laughs> but with a dog blowing a guy. <laughs> Classic Kubrick. Classic. You know, you look in every every movie, he's got it hidden in there somewhere, a dog blowing yeah, a guy. He's, he's got a hidden furry agenda. So Danny's outside, and he's running around, and he goes in the hedge maze, and uh, we finally get the hunting scene that we've been looking for, <laughs> which is the dad. He's like, ah, I'm going to go I out know there. you as a father really look forward to this scene. Well, because there comes a point in every like family's development 
where you either need to be captured by your father or you need to best your father and that's that's how you know that that either when you move on your your job is to stay home and support the family or you should go out and uh you should uh build your the empire of the family you should you should create another family and we should say the way he gets to that hedge maze you got that famous bathroom scene i don't think we need to go through it but yeah i mean oh, the classic you know. you know where he takes the axe and he's swinging it and he's like, here's johnny here's johnny which kubrick didn't understand the reference <laughs> because he, he was british so yeah. he's never seen the johnny carson show so he's like I, I don't know it also took them like 60 takes to do this they had to break 60 fucking doors jesus 60 fucking doors it's crazy so yeah so yeah uh, we're running out in the hedge maze after the bear was sucking the dude off the, the son he, he does a good move he uh he now did you notice this by the way hmm. that before Danny and Wendy got in that bathroom. Okay. You had the red rum scene. Yeah. Where he was screaming, red rum, red rum. Yeah. And she walks into the room and sees murder on the other side through the mirror. Oh, yeah, because it's backwards. It's murder. Mm-hmm. And what does Danny do? He's holding a knife. Yep. And what does he do with it? He hands it to her. Yep. And at this point in the movie... It's only Tony. So, like, she'll explain multiple times. Like, he'll explain that Danny's no longer here, Mrs. Torrance. It's only Tony. Yeah. He hands her that knife, and she ends up using it. Yeah. It's almost like they've done this before. It's almost like they know <laughs> where they're going. So, we run through the hedge maze, and then and then uh, Danny, he hides behind some... Uh, some snow drift like a like a big big mountain of snow like a wuss like a wuss <laughs> like a bitch ass like david copperfield bitch ass david copperfield or something which i hear by the way you can get on amazon it's, you could it's back in the day but it's been censored fucking liberals then then he gets out of the hedge maze he's reunited with his mother and it feels so good but uh it didn't feel so good for jack no been jack a long doesn't night. do so well because he's uh he's fucking frozen and then they're like well we, we better get get into something and get out of here we're gonna die so they they run over to the the snow machine and it's gotta uh, get the fuck out of here man yeah drive on off and uh, uh roll credits we're all good but wait a second uh-oh we, we zoom in on the the photo the classic picture the July 4th, 1967 photo, or 1927 photo. And who's front and center in it, but uh, goddamn the Joker himself, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a very Joker smile. On the... It's a pretty Joker. Now we'll get into the deleted scenes, Eddie. Okay, I want to hear this. So the two scenes that were deleted from this movie, but were filmed and were cut out by Warner Brothers, so thanks a mm -hmm. fucking lot, you sons of fucking bitches because they said the movie was quote too long so if you cut five minutes out it would fix the whole thing <sighs> one scene was jack looking through the basement of the hotel and he finds a scrapbook and that scrapbook contains old pictures of the hotel uh -huh. and you can actually see this scrapbook on his desk while he's writing his novel and in that scrapbook there's references to this picture at the end of the movie right the other scene that was cut out was after, before the picture was shown, it was always intended to be the, the last thing. Mm -hmm. There was a scene of Wendy and Danny 
in the hospital to mm-hmm. show the audience that they were fine. And the manager of the hotel actually visits them there. And this takes place a long time after the events. And he tells them that there is nothing to corroborate any sort of the paranormal stuff that they saw. And it was very weird. Like, like they can't prove anything, but they just think that Jack went crazy. And the last thing that that man does is hands Danny a ball. And he hands him the ball from earlier in the movie. Ah, the one that took 50 fucking scenes uh-huh. to roll to him. So it's the Kubrick okay. like establishing that everything wasn't real and then immediately telling you everything that it was. was real. Yeah. yeah. So Kubrick was asked about this picture. Okay. Because this is the thing that really just mystifies people. However, yeah. they never just fucking look up what he actually fucking said about it. Right. And his actual theory is, oh no, Jack just reincarnated. Like yeah. he's been doing this all over again. This right. is just a common thing. He gets called to this hotel in various lives. Like it's just a continual thing. It just repeats and repeats and repeats. And you think about that. How old would you say he is, Eddie? Uh, 200. No, I mean like, so he originally happened around 1927, right? Yeah. And then when did we say that music happened again? 40 years later? Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, 67, okay. right? Makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're just to assume that he's just kind of like repeated this over, over and, and over and over sense. again. Yeah. And it's funny that like all these people will go on with their bizarre theories when like they just don't seem to want to actually look at what he said. Whether they choose to or not, it's there. Yeah. And the woman who wrote the screenplay with him actually says, oh, no, that was always the intention is that he was just being reincarnated over and over and basically replaying these events. And he was always called to the hotel. He was always given the same choices. And no matter what, he always chose to be evil. Right. Yeah. So that's I think it maybe maybe they weren't ready for it. Right. The movie <laughs> when, when it came out and for that explanation. Mm-hmm. We also never learn what year we're in in this movie. That's. Yeah, that's true. Right? So we're just led to believe that, like, we might just be repeating history over and over and over again. Yeah, that's a good point. We know what day it is, but we never know what year. Exactly. So, so, yeah, maybe they weren't ready when this came out so it's it reminds me of in, in the video game world the uh the game bioshock infinite great series of games yeah did you ever play prey by the way the original one no the new one the, no, the one that I, takes place I, on a spaceship highly recommended if you like bioshock okay so with bioshock infinite the the kind of spoiler of it is it's the multiverse and you are you and you've been you and you've lived your life repeatedly over and over and over again. There are certain constants that always occur, but for the most part, there's no way for you to diverge from that. So it's uh, it's interesting that uh, that that game also was not well received i get maybe maybe i feel like the only time that that type of story has ever been well received originally was maybe like the first season of true detective maybe or maybe uh groundhog's day yeah well because like you know like there's these theories of time obviously right Uh that like maybe we are just living the same lives over and over and over again and we just wouldn't know right like in the idea that time is just a although i'd say do you ever see the show devs no Highly recommend that miniseries okay. if you want to get into the complexities of the time and time space and space yeah. and whether or not you can affect anything and change it and multiverse stuff. Mm. But yeah, like the idea that maybe we are just continually living the same lives because, you know, consciousness is just merely a projection of what we view it as. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because in reality, we're just, you know, a bunch of stuff in the universe and 
we're only seeing what our what I guess our conscious mind allows us to see. Yeah, not to mention the the argument of determinism versus free will in a deterministic universe where everything follows uh, fundamental laws of, of action and reaction. So let's just say I highly recommend the show Devs okay. on FX if you want to get into real great discussions of determinism uh, versus free will. Interesting. But that's to say, um, so, so do you think that we're delving into those themes then? The idea that like we are just continually living the same thing over and over and over again. And no matter what we do to affect it by like having a Tony or a Dick Halloran or something like that, you can't change the determinism. Like in this sense, it's not that he's living the same life over and over again. It's just that he's living those same decisions over and over again. And no matter what he does, he's always going to end up killing his family with an axe, right? Well, there's always a lighthouse, a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally go. You're saying I, I did not know this this portion of it, but uh, yeah, that 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 makes total sense. That's that's such a great interpretation of this movie. A hundred percent. Highly recommend Devs. By the way, I mean I'm being very <laughs> serious. It's one of my okay. favorite shows of the past two years. They'll never have a second season. Yeah, but it's that's all about bad. determinism versus uh, free will. One of my favorite philosophical discussions. Oh man, you would love that show, Eddie. Okay, well I, I guess uh, my dumbass will have to <laughs> check it out then hold on i need like a fart sound effect or something real quick um <laughs> one of the questions i actually do ask uh guests of this show is a pairing question um basically it is what sort of other piece of artwork would you pair with this movie so for example uh i did an episode on they live with uh steven izzy from the everything i learned from movies podcast and and the pairing that they selected i think was probably the best was the running man mm. just just kind of in its satire of uh um law enforcement and and futurism uh paired with capitalism so for the shining i i suppose i'll go first here just so you can have a minute to think i would say going with the the conversation we just had maybe donnie darko which is uh probably not the best movie but if if you're talking about the ideas you get into those light themes of determinism yeah, versus light themes of determinism versus uh free will maybe that or actually you know maybe pie pie might be a better yeah that's a example good one. i would say of determinism versus free will only a little more abstracted uh so mike what what do you have a pairing that you would put with this and i would probably say the show devs actually okay i was a okay. really big fan of it and i saw it recently and i thought it was interesting to think of um i'd never looked at the shining as a determinism type of argument Okay. Because I actually never read that interview with Stanley Kubrick that basically told you exactly what he meant by the end of that, huh. is that it was a reincarnation thing of him continuing living these same events over and over and over again, and that's why he was in the picture at the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. It's so funny, though, that he spelled it out, and nobody just ever seemed to pay attention to it. And also, it was confirmed again by the screenwriter that he wrote the script with. It was always the, the intention, right? And are yeah. we just talking about something that's, like, too heady for that time? I don't know. But 
it really makes you think of this movie in a different light, right? Like we are trying our hardest to stop something that's going to happen, but determinism always seems to win, right? Yeah, you uh, you can't fight fate. No, at least not in this universe. Maybe in the next universe, we'll give it another try. Yeah, you might just have to create your own in order to do that. I don't know. Maybe. And in the (laughs) next universe, uh, you could probably listen to me reviewing Grindhouse classic (laughs) films with my friend uh, Mike here on the Grind Bin podcast. And I'm going to say I've been a fan of the podcast for a, a long, long time. Uh, that's actually kind of where we met is I, I started listening back on the Joysticks episode because I, I remember as a kid, I'd go to the movie rental convenience store in my small town. And one of them that I saw was the boob comedy Joysticks where there were scantily clad women. In the uh, boob comedy section in the boob comedy section yeah where i would always frequent uh and there were scantily clad women with with an arcade machine and i just thought by god they figured it out i mean it's the the best movie of all time right like you got everything you want as a teen in there you figured out how to mix the chocolate of boobs with the peanut butter (laughs) of video games and i'm right there for that peanut butter cup but i never saw the movie Well, because what am I going to fucking rent it and bring it home and be like, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to watch these horrors get nude. Like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> totally awesome video games. <laughs> My dad probably would have been cool with it, to be honest. He was like, oh, I've seen that shit. He was a perv. <laughs> uh, but I never rented it. And then uh, I was looking it up one day and I was like, holy shit, these fuckers are talking about this thing. I, I guess I better listen to it. And since then, I've been uh, a listener and a Man. Patreon subscriber of The Grind Bin. That was like, like episode, episode 20. Yeah, that was way longer. 28, yeah. somewhere around there. And uh, I, I mean, I'm living proof. You you can live the dream. You, you could potentially <laughs> be a guest on The Grind Bin. And uh, go ahead and take it away, Mike. You know, that's anybody who has the the balls to join us is always welcome, right? Like that's the, I guess the big thing is everybody's just a little bit intimidated by it until they actually come on and just realize that we're just a bunch of regular guys, except for Eddie with his soundboard, so. Uh, But yeah, you can find us. On the Grindhouse pod, the grind, the grind bin podcast, where grind we discuss pod. Grindhouse movies. Look, we're going on three hours, and we talked yeah. uh, heady discussions of determinism for the past twenty minutes. <laughs> so, not something you'll find on the Grind Bin. If you want to hear jokes about like Charles Bronson, you know, whenever there's a rape, he appears like an angel. That's when you listen to the Grind Bin. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of which, there's a classic episode of the Grind Bin that hasn't even been recorded yet, but we know it's a classic. Death Wish Four, a future classic. Yes. Yeah, Speaking of determinism. Which Eddie will appear on because he appeared on Death Wish 3. And that's when we first introduced the Edheads to the podcast because Eddie has his own fan base (laughs) over on the grind bin. Yeah. So if you're a fan of me and you found (laughs) me without finding the grind bin first, which I don't know that that's a true statement, go over, check out the grind bin, honestly, and subscribe. Be a member of their Patreon there. It's a phenomenal podcast. Yeah. You can hear more uh, Eddie on the 
the Patreon as well. So yeah, get our I Saturday mean, morning could... TV crew. Yeah, we just oh recently God. recorded an episode about uh, trading ourselves there for uh, grocery store jobs, just in and, case everything goes downhill. You know, in Legends of the Hidden Crypt Keeper. Like, oh it's my so God, good. that's one of the fucking greatest things I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely, and you already know how to find my podcast because you're listening to it. So why the fuck would I promote it? Um, but you know, five stars. Yeah. Or if you're not going to five-star it, then fuck off. Nah, well, they're going to give it a five-star. They love you. <laughs> yeah. I hope somebody reviews this episode and says, five stars, bring that Mike guy on. You know, more three-hour discussions about determinism. That's what we wanted out of Eddie's horror podcast. We're the Mike Dykes. Let's, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, the Mike and Ikes, I guess. The Mike and Ikes. There you the go. The Mike and Ikes, yeah. So thank you, Mike, for joining us on the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I guess we'll talk to you later, maybe. <laughs> This is a great way to end a show. So yeah, it's the best way. I to guess do it. we'll talk to you again later. Maybe. Bye. I don't fucking know. We'll we'll have uh, Bobby on. He's going to talk about Dark Castle, <laughs> the video game. No, Dark Castle, oh, the God. production company from like ninety nine to two thousand. I was like, why the fuck would Bobby want to come on and talk about one of the worst Genesis games of all time? No, he wants to talk about House of Wax and Paris Hilton. Oh, still talking about one of the worst things of all time. Still talking about one of the worst things. Yeah, no, thanks, Mike, for joining us. And uh, everybody, have a howling good night or whatever. I don't have a sign off. <laughs> So this is how the show ends off. This is karma's gonna get you. Gonna knock you right in the head. You better get yourself together. Pretty soon you're gonna be dead.
Let's go. 